Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the film adaptation, 1993, of Stephen King's Needful Things, the book we have been unpacking over these last two weeks. If you haven't listened to our episodes on the book, uh, there's two of them. There's two. And they're very good. Do you think we could have done five? I could have. Yeah? I don't think Mel would have wanted to do that. No, (laughs) no. She didn't like the book as much as us, but it's true. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's before we hop into discussing the film and Max von Sydow's indelible performance, uh, let's introduce ourselves. My name is Rock and Randall Colburn, and who are you? Uh, well, I'm Michael Ed Harris Rothman, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, star of this film as uh, Sheriff Helen. <laughs> Mike, don't you see what he's done, Rothman? Don't you see what he's done? <laughs> What's your best? What can you do? You can, uh, uh, introduce yourself. He's not a human being. <laughs> this is Mackenzie Mickey Mantle Gerber. Hey. Oh, I like that uh, one. Uh, Big change uh, from the specific book. to the film. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, very excited to talk about this. Uh, constant contributor to this podcast as well as uh, Halloweenies. Ah, I've heard of that podcast. Yeah. Uh, I hear you guys dissect the Halloween films. We do. We have. Dissect it. We did, and we have. <laughs> And and, also, and and we will return. We will return this year. this year. Oh God! Sadly, uh, no. can I can I revise my to name? the Halloween franchise? Oh, you want to revise your name now to make it specific to the movie, like yeah. you guys did? Okay. Uh, Rockin' Randall Brian Rusk didn't kill himself. Colburn. <laughs> That's a spoiler nickname, but uh, I like uh, that. I, like I, w- it. I would imagine people have watched the movie. Yeah. Um, if they're listening to this podcast, just as it would probably help if you've watched if you've read the book, because we'll probably spoil a few book things because we're oh, going to totally. talk about the differences because there's some marked differences between these yeah uh let's before we hop into the history in a, of this of this movie when's the first time you watched it mike well i actually used to see this a ton on tbs yeah uh and or you know whatever cable network was playing it around you know spooky season or the bigger longer uncut version no i, I actually i don't i don't know i really yeah. don't know i mean I, I know now because you know we've watched the longer one and we've seen the theatrical one but at the time i, I imagine it was just the regular theatrical cut yeah uh, because it wasn't like something that was on for four hours yeah know, or three or four hours on television so for me it was just i'd catch you know scenes here and there and then you know when we finally did the greetings from castle rock uh finally when we did the greetings from castle rock uh, you know film festival at the music box in 2018 i managed to catch the ending because we were out in the lobby yeah um, talking to you know constant listeners yeah uh, like you um and <laughs> why you point at me i know right? <laughs> But yeah, we, so I, I only got to catch the ending of it, and then I know all the quotes from when we use them for like needful tweets and stuff. But um, it was, you know, going into this, it was seeing it front to back might have been the first time this yeah. for this show. Yeah. How about you, Mac? My first experience with Needful Things, the film, was our festival, yeah. our movie festival. You'd never so seen anything before? I had seen clips, and I'd seen yeah. the trailer 10 billion times, and of course we quoted nonstop. <laughs> yeah. um, but I hadn't seen the movie, and I think... I knowing we were doing this venture, I knew we were going to be getting to Neville things in the first you know few years or whatever. At least we thought at the time, and 
I, I just I didn't want to watch the movie knowing I was gonna, probably going to have to watch it really soon again. Yeah. And um, that would have been the way to do it. But, you know, like we said, we had responsibilities. But we did walk in to, to hear the line at the very end. Yeah, we did. We, I, I, think <laughs> we all, I think we even shut down the table. Um, we shut down the booth, table. <laughs> the merch booth, just to, to go in. We had to hear Ed Harris lose his mind. And uh, and so I was excited about seeing seeing the rest of the movie um, because I, it had been so long since that even. Mm. Uh, I had kind of forgotten the context of what was going on in that sequence. Um, so, yeah, but I had the, my first viewing was this last Thursday. I, I rented it on Apple. Oh. And uh, so. Apple, uh, on, uh, on the old Apple TV, uh, you can rent movies from Apple. It's where uh, Lisey's story <laughs> will be premiering is on Apple TV. Coming, coming soon um, from uh, Pablo Lorraine. Yeah, and so... <laughs> Producer J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, yeah, like they're going to be like selling it as Pablo Lorraine's I was going to say, what, what else has Pablo done? Jackie. Uh, Jackie, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, oh. Yeah, interesting. It's a huge. Okay. That's a, it's a, oh, yeah, uh, interesting. The fun, a fun Thanksgiving <laughs> classic. Wow. Uh, but no, but that was my first uh, experience with Needful Things, and you know, I had a fun time watching it and uh, taking the notes. Taking the notes? Were you sitting there <laughs> with like the a notes. notepad? You're like, what, what did my? What did Max say? With, I'm sitting there with a notepad that um, I got from a store called Needful Things. Oh. The, no- the notepad was pre- previously owned by. Uh, famous King. writer Joan Didion, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King. But when you guys see the notepad, you, it's actually a Kurtz notepad. <laughs> I I actually uh, I've seen this notepad that you have, um, and there are there's some like really cool uh, sketches that he's made of uh, Molly, uh, the thing of evil. So why do you have to, why did you have to keep it going? <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to keep it. <laughs> I thought I the Kurtz capped it. Um, it was a good cap. That was a good cap. Uh, yeah, that was a good cap. And then Mike oh, took it further. It's it. like oh, I guess actually we're I have going. seen it, and it's not Kurtz. Actually. Uh, uh, this bit has more juicy actually, yeah, it. Molly and see her paw prints on it along with Cooge. Hey, I gotta say, you know, <laughs> look, I love Cooge, but I really do love Molly, and he's been showing some like images of Molly lately. And there's one that just that he shared on Saturday night, and it was just so just the dog is so goddamn cute. It just had like the paws up, uh-huh. laying on its back like every corgi does. Paws up, ass up. Oh, you know, not this, ass up though. This generally yeah. reminds me of something that I saw recently. Do Do you think that like? You know, Gaunt keeps like a little black book in this. Yeah. Do you think Cooge kept a little black book? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question: Like, when you actually got your own black book um, that you, that you got at Needful Things, do you think it's the one that like Gaunt had used previously? Well, um, I, it was Gaunt, but it was also it was a hand-me-down from Cooge because there were paw prints in the oh, book. Oh wow! They're like, wow, did, did are you? Is this from the Camber Ranch? Um, <laughs> It was buried in a can yeah. in that back. <laughs> it was Ace Merrill's can. Uh, there was wait also a second. Ace wait, in this movie. No, but there was also in the very back. It was signed. It was. It was. It was then gifted to Ace because there was a treasure map. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Jesus. Oh my All right. Lord. I 1993's saw, Needful Things. I saw Needful Things when I was in. I think I. I uh, rented it when I was in high school, but I literally remember nothing about watching it. I don't. I remembered very few little things, except for the fact that I always thought J.T. Walsh was amazing casting. Yeah, for Buster, even when I was in high school. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, I I watched it when I was young, and then I remember the longer version airing on on TBS, but. But you know, it was one of those things where I was never, I didn't, I didn't really like the original when I watched it, so I didn't want to sit down for the four-hour version. But I remember thinking it was cool because I loved the book so much that you saw a lot of the auxiliary characters like Cora, yeah. Rusk, and, and um, who else is like featured heavily? Like Cl- well, well, not heavily, but you even like hear like Clutter Bucket. Sometimes. Yeah, or not Clutter Bucket, but <laughs> Clutter Bucket. Um, 
<laughs> so yeah, like I remember thinking it was cool that you that they fleshed out the world more, but I had never watched it in full. So let's explain. We've actually all, in terms of what we've watched recently, we all have different experiences, which I think is cool. So yeah, uh, Mac, you've only watched the theatrical version. Only watched the theatrical version. Heard of this other elusive version? Yeah, and we'll unpack that when we talk about the history more. But there are two versions of this film. There's like a two-hour theatrical release, yeah, and then a three-hour version that was made. F- Specifically for TBS with an or for hour. TNT originally. Oh, but was it, it TNT? Yeah, I mean, same thing, but they're all, you know, Turner. Okay. But it was originally for TNT. That was going to be a limited series sort of thing. And then they, you know, yeah. have shipped it since to TBS where they don't know how to spell Stephen King's name. Oh, right? we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that. Uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> you watched the two hour theatrical cut. The I've seen the theatrical cut, but I don't remember anything yeah. from it. And then we watched the end of it at the. Um, at the film festival we did. And then I watched the uh, three-hour version, which, let's just say, uh, one of our listeners, we, we're we not going to say their names. We we haven't been given permission. But if you yeah. want credit for giving us that version, reach out and we'll call you out in the next episode. Uh, we were sent, yeah, a rip of it. So that was taped off TBS. And because it's not released. It's not. Yeah, no, for legal reasons, anywhere. they can't release the yeah. three-hour version, so good luck finding it. Yeah. Um, but it is out there. It's so, out there. But I've, I've only watched that of late, is the three-hour version, and then you, Mike... Watched both. Watched yeah. uh, the theatrical cut uh, literally the night before um, we recorded the first episode for the book, because I had literally just finished the book, and I was like, all right, I want to go watch the movie now. I'm having fun. And then... Yesterday we watched the three-hour one. Yeah. So um, I've been in Castle Rock for a very long time. Yeah. So, I yeah. think. No well, joke. especially when you factor in Castle Rock season two. I know. And then, oh god, yeah, that's actually. We've, I haven't we, left Castle Rock. We've ever. been in Castle Rock for a long time. Uh, so yeah. So let's. Uh, so we've all we all have different approaches to this, which I think will be fun because some parts of the three-hour cut are so bizarre and so like, yeah. Why did they film this in the first place? That I think you're going to be amused, Mac. Yeah, when I'm we, very when we touch interested on this. in this. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's d- dig into the history of it by venturing into the Dairy Public Library. Oh, my friend Mike Hamlin. <clears throat> Mike Hamlin, if you see. Hey, excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do. Well, you better let the poor guy out. <laughs> yeah, Mike <laughs> Hamlin. Did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him! Tell him! Tell him! I'll see him tonight! Get out! Last chance, do you? Get out! Get out! Welcome to the Dairy Public Library. This is where we unpack the history of the films that we discuss. This one, it's kind of just funny. Like, we've. I, I kind of think it's hilarious that we're giving the same treatment to 1993's Needful Things that we gave to, like, The Shining. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, um, you know, uh, Misery and all this stuff. But uh, this movie came out in 1993, same year as The Dark Half came out. Yeah. yeah. So Pangborn, all played by place. two different actors in two movies in the same year. Michael Rooker played him in The Dark Half. I prefer Michael Rooker to Ed Harris, ultimately, personally, but Ed Harris is the better Pangborn. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'll get to that when we get the heroes and villains. Okay, oh, we'll talk wow. about that. So, um, get some hot takes here. But this movie stars Ed Harris as Alan Pangborn, Bonnie Bedelia as Polly Chalmers, J.T. Walsh as Buster Keaton, and Max von Sydow. This man was old when The Exorcist came out. He looked old. No, not Seven Seal. He looked pretty young in. So I'll give him that. It's just wild. This guy, and he's still alive. Yeah, he was in still Force act, Awakens. Still acting. It's wild. Yeah. I love him. He's an uh, incredible actor. I, you know how I first encountered him? 
No. Uh, Strange you, you, Brew. You, you bumped into him? Oh, he is in Strange Brew. He's the villain in Strange Brew. I did bump into him, and he said, watch it, fucker. <laughs> watch it, you wussy. Watch it, you little wuss. And he smiled, and he had those nasty teeth. Yeah. And then um, he sold me Stephen King's notebook that uh, <laughs> oh, was oh once owned by You did give, you gifted that Kujo. to me. Wow, yeah, this, right. this is really, you. you know, right. it's changed a lot of hands. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll and get pause. it. Anyway. You know, and pause. And pause, too. Stephen... We've got your next book about the hand-me-down <laughs> notebook from Castle Rock. That Cujo owned. The cursed book. Um, so this this movie, I actually think is really well cast, but uh, the director is Fraser C. Heston. Now, that, Fraser, ring, now that rings a bell. Yeah, hey, I, Actually, that does ring a bell. I believe he uh, stops at a Boston place called Cheers every yes. once in a while. Um, no, wait. <laughs> is he related to... Charlton Heston? Yes, he yes. is. He's son of Charlton Heston. Now, now, for those of you who don't know, Charlton Heston played Zaius in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and he was the one that gave him a guffin away that man once ruled over apes. Oh, <laughs> boy. Uh, so, Fraser C. Heston, the son, and also played Baby Moses yes. in The Ten Commandments. Which is pretty wild. Do you have that little trivia bit there? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty fun. That's pretty great. You, yeah. Are you I don't have it. No, no, no. You were making no, fun I, of me. I like it. No, don't say it. I, I, I didn't write it down, but I read. I remember reading it, and I thought that was really funny. Shut up. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> I also want to take one quick moment that, although I do not believe in Charlton Heston's views these days, loved them in Planet of the Apes, and I loved them in, in, uh, in the Old Ten Commandments. Thanks, thanks for saying that. So it's a good... <laughs> We needed to get that out say, there. Some people, you know, don't age don't age well. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my lord. Okay, Fraser C. Heston, he directed Needful Things. He direct This was his first feature. He directed some TV movies. He did a, a TV version of Treasure Island, which cast uh, Charlton Heston as Long John Silver. That's right. well, I remember that's that. Probably why uh, one of the books in the store in this movie is Treasure Island. Yeah, but uh, then the guy keeps he, talking about Huckleberry Finn yeah, the whole so time. They it's fucked that really up, bizarre. But, you know. So but then after this, he directed the 1996 movie Alaska and a 2010 documentary called The Search for Michael Rockefeller. He's also... Um, I haven't seen Rockefeller, but Alaska is a pretty decent movie. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, um, But he hasn't done anything since then. Um, yeah. So it's... Yeah, we'll talk more about the direction later, but it's 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 odd. This movie was not horribly well-received. Um, it was actually very poorly received. It did win some Saturn Awards. Oh. Including a... Pro, a for Amanda Plummer's performance as Nettie Cobb. She's so, great in it. Yeah, she's pretty she's good. She's really good. Roger Ebert gave it 1.5 out of 4 stars. Oof. He said the film has only one note, which it plays over and over, sort of a satanic water torture. Uh, is water torture satanic? I don't really know what that means. Yeah. Well, it's a satanic version of water torture. What makes it satanic? There is there is water in the, hell, the, though. Gaunt. Is he, is he wearing <laughs> devil horns? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the devil uh, has come to Castle Rock. Uh Ebert says it's not funny and it's not scary and it's all sorts of depressing. And then um, the, New York, the New York Times, yeah, I think he just he thought it was depressing. Yeah, like oh. just in a way that movies suck, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, like, look at these characters in this town. The New York Times hated it. Oh, hated wow. it. Uh, said this is by no means the grisliest or most witless film made from one of Mr. King's horrific fantasies. It can lay claim to being the most unpleasant. You know, it's interesting because this is. This is during a time when, and we've talked about this a lot in the pod, but I think like the reason so much more reverence is given to King these days is because the people who are making the films and making the things that are inspired by him, uh, they grew up on him. So they love King. Whereas, you know, in these days, King was just the popular writer 
who they had no connection to. So the critics were like, I don't know, they didn't have that same connection to King. Oh, yeah. I mean, also, he's coming off a decade where you're getting movies like The Mangler. Yeah. But, I mean, and Misery like, did come out. Like It's not too long before. But you know. it's not like that was... And, well, Shawshank was the next year. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Like, this does feel like the last gasp of a certain era of Stephen King mm-hmm. films. Like, because the Shawshank Redemption, even though Misery sort of, you know, revitalized uh, King cinematically yeah. a little bit, it, do, it still feels more like Shawshank Redemption did more to change the yes. public tone or the approach of Stephen King because it was I think probably because it was a straight drama and not a yeah. horror like even Misery still horror. has horror elements yeah. yeah and so I think like it went Shawshank went far in sort of rehabilitating sort of the he's the shockmeister you know well it's funny though yeah. because I feel like even for Shawshank though didn't they leave his name off of things they did yeah but yeah. that's so, the thing I think it's more like the legacy of it and do you think that was due to this movie being so poorly received the year before oh no I think I just think it's interesting that there was this era where they were just trying to knock out, I don't know, there there was this, like, there's something so chintzy and cheap about Needful Things, the movie. Like, it's such an epic book, and this movie feels leans, so undercooked. It leans on the silliness that I think Mel was describing, like, oh, the sure. satire stuff. It, it, everyone's almost a caricature in this movie. Yeah, and we'll talk more about yeah. that. I think it's more so just, like, I don't know. There's a lack of seriousness, if that makes sense. But then and it also comes in at weird moments, though, where they're like, no, we need to be serious now. Yeah, you know? but I think what, like I, what I mean is that there's like a serious like, craft to the filmmaking. I don't get that vibe. This feels like uh, like cinema fodder, you know, at a mm. certain time. Whereas then Shawshank came out and there was like, you took a small story and you made it much bigger. True. And there's all yeah. this like film craft and all this beautiful... Uh, cinematography and the acting is so elevated and the script is so wonderful like it was like suddenly Darabont came in and gave him a master class in how to adapt King because well, he was also pulling from a sighted King that really the general public had no clue about right you know? but he also did it with like this in the same way that you would adapt any like you know storied author oh yeah because like, I, I mean, think he gave it like a Capra touch to it. yeah because people are I think the vibe at this time especially when you read the dismissive reviews because it's like oh Mr. King's witless movies you know what I mean I think that there was just a general disdain for him because he was popular mm-hmm. um, which I get like I feel like these days we do that with like Dan Brown and stuff like that I don't know if people have the same experience like in 20 years is are the kids who grew up on Dan Brown gonna do a Dan Brown renaissance oh wow that'd be great There's a yeah. new Langdon series coming Coming out oh. might turn things around. Hey, does it star um, uh, David Boreanaz? Oh, David Boreanaz to bring it back? I'd love it. Look. Yeah. What? I will watch that. <laughs> oh, no. Look, Boreanaz, that guy has had the best luck. I mean, he's been on television for what, like 20 something years now. He was found walking his dog. And he's still, he's like never stopped working. No. I, you know, I'm not a huge bones head, but like, You're not. the guy's nonstop not, I think working. It's bonehead. <laughs> oh, is that official? <laughs> I think, oh, I think he's man. like the new Ted Danson. You know, David Boreanaz, Ted Danson, both successful. Boreanaz has never had a film career. Ted always had a film career. Well, Ted has a minor film career. I disagree. Oh, he had three men and a baby. Three men and a little baby. Getting even with dad. That movie's so bad that I walked out of it as a kid. I got even with my dad by leaving the theater. He did did that one. Lee. He's doing Lee, yeah, and Curb, uh, yeah. No, I. The thing is, like, he's he's always been pretty much relegated to television, which is why I think Boreanaz. Why are we? Why are we going? <laughs> yeah, we, we we've already missed the mark. Let's let's hop back. No, this is what's good. Okay, okay, let's circle back. I just think it's interesting that, to me, like Misery changed things, but Shawshank changed things more because it felt 
like more of an event. There was, I don't know. I agree. No, no, I, I, I agree a hundred percent with that. I think that really the, if you, I mean, if you really want to look back on hindsight of like what ultimately changed the trajectory of things, I think stand by me did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just because at that point, you know, it, it, it was able to establish castle rock entertainment, which is what one was pumping out a lot of these, including this movie. Um, and then also, um, there's just something about it, it, maybe it didn't in the, in the, in the, in, you know, the general populace, but I think, in the film industry, it showed that, oh, wow, he does have actual stories that could lead to maybe some sort of Oscar nominated material. Yeah. You know, because like, and a lot of it was because Reiner ushered that in. You know, I think it's, yeah, Darabont but, gets a lot of credit, but like Reiner is the one that, that ultimately dug deep for some of the, some of the stuff there. But then I mean, why do you, why do you hire Charlton Heston's son to direct this? Like, he has no notable credits. He's, you know, was Baby Moses in, Ten Commandments. Yeah, uh, his dad is Charlton Heston. Like he has no. I mean, there's no. I like what what I, when I watch Needful Things, I don't feel like he was a fan. I don't get like like there's no deeper touches to it. There's no. I don't know. It doesn't feel like an adaptation from somebody who really loves King. And I guess that's maybe what I'm getting at is like then you see Shawshank and you can tell that this guy loves King. And then now that's like where we're at now is a lot all the best Stephen King adaptations come out are made by these guys who are hardcore well, fans. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I think there's a lot of that this is like a, a job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I and I think that that's a lot of the the Stephen King adaptations at the time. I mean I, I do think that there's a level of um, care and detail to, you know, like movies like Cujo. So I think like Louis Teague, I, yeah. I don't think you could really, you know, lump them in there. But they're definitely like, I mean, I'm sure I doubt the, the director of The Mangler yeah. was like, you know, I grew up on Stephen King. And well, I got to say. Well, you know. all of his early ones started with great directors. I mean, De Palma, um, you know, uh, Hooper, wait, who directed Dead Zone? Well, Cronenberg. Uh, um, yeah, Cronenberg. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Toby Hooper for Salem's John Lot. John Carpenter and, even, yeah, you know, Christine. with Christine. You had these great directors who were handling a lot of the early ones. But then once it got into the schlockier area, it seemed like Hollywood stopped taking uh, King works series. Well, I have some interesting quotes okay. because there there isn't a lot. I mean, there's a lot of trivia for Needful Things, but in terms of like the press, you can tell that like they didn't really go gung ho with press for this movie, even though the actual publicity for the book was pretty huge. Yeah. I mean, there were like bookmarks, there were um, little lobby cards, and I know all of this because people sent them to us. But um, I know that there was a huge you know pr- promotional push, and this only came out like two years after the original or the book. The you know the source yeah. material was re- was initially released, so. There's clearly some sort of um, uh, alignment within, you know, knowing that the book is coming out and then knowing that they're gonna, there's going to be an, uh, an adaptation that needs to be, you know, released. And that's the same thing that happened with Christine also. Because, like, Christine, the movie came out only, like, months after the book did. So mm-hmm. I imagine that, you know, they were, there was some sort of steamrolling to get this out. So maybe because... I imagined, you know, we they probably could have gotten a, a better filmmaker on yeah. this or, you know, more, you know prominent filmmaker especially given the fact that misery had just won an oscar for, yeah. for kathy bates like you'd think that there would be more of attraction there but right. it's it's very weird so what i was able to find was a fangoria article from steve newton uh this is uh shortly before the movie came out because fangoria does all the set visits especially around this time like they were the go-to for like any of the horror movie ones which is kind of funny because like i wouldn't i mean i guess this is a horror movie but i don't really consider it a horror movie and they're pretty self uh facing about that like in the article saying like this isn't the trip the, the typical you know fango set visit because yeah. there's not a lot of gore and all but anyway um what i learned was that uh so you know wd richter he wrote the screenplay for this okay um and and he had done the screenplays for adventures of buckaroo Banzai and big trouble in little china which 
I, you know, tonally those movies are wild and yeah. crazy. Like they're they're a total pulpy B movies, and I think that he brings that quality to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was original. He wasn't the original screenwriter for this. So the original screenwriter was actually Lawrence D. Cohen, who wrote Carrie and It. Yeah. Um. You know. So they there was some sort of mm. like an you know initiative to try to you mm-hmm. know make this alongside the other classic King adaptations. Um. But uh, they decided not to go with the previous draft by Cohen, which apparently like chiseled down the story also. Um, well, you and, have to. Yeah, you got to for the screen. But um, so this is what Richter says. I didn't like the size of Needful Things, but I liked the enormously. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't like the size of Needful Things, Richter continues. But I like the fact that the characters push the action a lot. That appealed to me enormously, and I thought Gaunt was really well written. It was fun to try and work with uh, work with him. And uh, let me just start this all over. <laughs> I didn't like the size of Needful Things, but I liked the fact that the characters pushed the action a lot. That appealed to me enormously, and I thought Gaunt was really well written. It was fun to try to work him carefully into tighter structures. Um, and then he says, um, the, one of the things that he liked to do was take uh, Gaunt out of the store. And he said, uh, I loosed him from the store for a couple of reasons. I thought it would be potentially visually boring and constricting to have to keep returning to the shop and photographing him across the counter. King has, King has more ability to make each scene sound different on the page because you're inside Gaunt's head and thinking his thoughts. But I was pretty concerned that we would be in the shop over and over and over again. And Peter Yates, the executive producer and original director, felt the same way. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you get some sort of idea of what was going on with the changes, but... Yeah. The idea of like I didn't you know the fact that he's like I didn't like the size of needful things like that's a weird statement. Yeah, and I think if you don't like the size of it, then you're kind of missing the point of the book, in my opinion. I think that the size of it is sort of the point. Is it a little too long? The book, of course, all yeah. king books are, but it's the size of it in the way that you know the dominoes fall and the that it's like all these tiny little plots coalesce into one gigantic massive explosive one you know mm-hmm. yeah and that to me is what makes it so great and that's of course what the movie's missing because how could you make a two-hour movie out of this how i mean it's like this is one of those instances where it's like how do you make a three-hour movie out of this we watched the three-hour version and it's not good either well it gets a little rough now because uh, here's another piece of uh, trivia i got Bring from it. the fango thing <laughs> Given his previous screen credits, one might expect Richter to be more of a uh, an SF buff than a horror fanatic. Oh, sci-fi buff than a horror fanatic. Certainly, the fact that he had never read any of Stephen King's novels before scoring the Needful Things writing job makes it appear that way. That's a major concern. Woof. Like, you got to read some of the books before you do this stuff. I mean, like, especially Needful Things, which is, like, rich with King's Dominion. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rich with, like, all his qualities as a writer I don't know. And none of that's in the movie. Like there's no. I mean, there's, there's no, no, really there's no is, larger sense that this exists within the King universe. No, know? no, yeah. no, no. And no. that's the thing that bugs me about it. So, but yeah. So anyways, this movie, uh, so there was so much material though. They shot, you know, this massive version of it, but nobody was going to go see a three hour movie. Um, at least one at that time. didn't, that didn't, uh, yeah, at the time that didn't have like considerable buzz or awards potential. Yeah. So they trimmed it down to two hours and then, uh, they were, then, yeah, they cut this deal with TNT to do, uh, a four out. Well, they, it was supposed to be like a two part mini series. Yeah. So. It was, and then they were going to, you know, run it over, you know, a couple of nights, I imagine. But they didn't but present it that way. They I, did it I as know, a no. four hour, yeah, four hour cut, which so. is weird. 
which we you know we ultimately saw and there are a lot of differences yeah um which i don't know where we can discuss that but most of the most of it deals with a lot of like um uh, tonal changes and then also just drawing out more characters yeah um you know like it begins with a car chase which is wild let's Um, talk about that this is so we might as well talk about this here uh how does your version begin mac the version that you watched. The version that I watched begins, I'm pretty sure it's just, it's a little, it's kind of like um, the dead zone where it's just Gaunt driving into town and then they keep showing. No, it's just Gaunt driving into town. I'm getting it mixed up with Nobody's Fool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just watched that the other day and it's very similar opening. Where it is just, a very similar. just showing like the town, different parts of the town and stuff. But no, uh, it's just Gaunt driving into town or you just see like the, his car driving into town. Well, in the extended version, the film opens with uh, Alan and Norris played by Ray McKinnon, great actor, uh, on the side of the road tending to their police cars and then Leland's car drives up. Well, you don't Bye. know it's Leland's yeah. car, but it's this black car that you, you know, right, obviously. Right. And it's flying up and they're like, hey, what's this car? And then what they're, uh, driver's side door is open and the car just starts speeding towards them without slowing down and then it it drives and knock takes the door off yeah and then they're like whoa what is it doing so they start chasing him and i swear to god it's like a seven or eight minute car chase oh it goes on for a while yeah they're mind you we have not town. really met any of these characters no, at all this is the cold open of the yeah. movie <laughs> after they've scanned over the town yeah, they, both, oh, yeah both they cuts do. of the film oh wait i'm yeah. sorry yeah that is the opening yeah is is, is the, the 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 water yeah and then up to the lighthouse so you see that you this know, is a seaside town well. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's like this insane car chase and they're yelling and they're screaming and they're driving they're crashing through things and then it ends with with the, the leland gaunt's car like flying up in the air turning over and exploding yeah. like it ex- completely ridiculously explodes. over the top explosion and and then mind you we don't really know anyone no we don't know what's <laughs> going on and then they they go to the police station and they're like talking about this car chase but there's no info and then yeah. the movie just goes on yeah it is so weird <laughs> yeah i have i have no no idea how this was in the script what it was meant to say what it was meant to do all it tells me is that the uh the production budget for explosions and fx like that must have been pretty high because there are a lot of explosions in this there really are in this movie i mean and uh and there are in the book but they clearly must have gleaned that from the book and we're like look we got to make sure we just blow up shit left and right in Mm -hmm. this movie and that is crazy it's wild right like i i I would never have expected that to be the opening of this movie like we we sat down to watch it and that we were like what the fuck like it was so weird it's a very weird choice and it really takes away from like i actually think there's a a kind of a sort of like ornate nature to the the theatrical cut where it does have the sweeping shots of the town and then it just kind of opens with Brian walking up to the store and you do get a sense of the town immediately yeah. like with the theatrical cut like it yeah. just it just gives you and it gives you these really gorgeous like fall shots like this is what I'll say about the movie and 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 the sense of atmosphere for this film um I think is really uh, well done um I think that some of the shots around like I got, I got the sense that like they captured Castle Rock but I don't I don't think they got to play in Castle Rock in the ways that I think we should have um but like when I watch this like this looks like a Stephen King town that's yeah, they shot they in location, British Columbia yeah the location's yeah. pretty solid yeah yeah so I mean in that respect I do enjoy the the more scenic nature of this movie, um, in addition to obviously to the cast, and 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 you get a little bit more of that world building in this director's cut, 
um, in, in the sense that like you get to spend more time with a lot of characters like uh, Polly and uh, Alan's relationship is fleshed out more. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, they, they have a spaghetti dinner together. There's a little <laughs> bit more um, there, spaghetti pangborn. Spaghetti pangborn. <laughs> um, there's a uh, there's some scenes on the boat where there's like one long shot with the two of them just like she like climb like uh, Polly climbs onto the boat and they just like start like sort of having like, a nice little romantic rendezvous or whatever. And, um, and she gooses him. She gooses him. Hot as hell. What? <laughs> Yeah, she gets up in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> she pegs Pangborn. Wow. She no, pegs um, Pangborn. Wow. Uh, uh, should we? I think. I think actually, we can talk a lot about the changes between the two movies in our heroes and villains. Section. Yeah, I think we probably. So could. why don't we transition into heroes and villains? I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole. <laughs> So let's talk about Alan and Polly. This relationship um, is probably one of the better parts of the movie. I mean, you got Ed yeah, Harris, you yeah. got Bonnie Bedelia, Bonnie Bedelia of Die Hard fame and Salem's Lot fame. Yeah. What a babe. Babe. I forgot she was in Salem's Lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ed Harris is coming off off the stand. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he'll be in the stand the next year. Oh, is that the next yeah, year? Yeah, 94. So. Oh, boy. He's, uh, he's about he to go King, into King. Man. He yeah. loves well, King. Had, had, yeah. he, had he already done Creepshow? He had done Creep Show. All right, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So the, he's in King's Dominion a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Romero's uh, realm. <laughs> Romero's <laughs> realm. I'm going to call it that. But like it needs alliteration. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I here's the thing though without about that. I don't think the theatrical cut has enough of them in it. Yeah. Um, I think it needs a little bit more of their sort of uh, tension and some just some of that like adult love that I that I actually really um, adore in a lot of early 90s uh, yeah. films. Just any genre, really. Like, I just feel like maybe it's just the boomer age or whatever. But like, I feel like adults are um, written with a little bit more care and attention in yeah. this era than they are even just today. Um, like, at least in genre movies. Well, and the I, idea of casting like a bald guy, uh, like a yeah. bald 40 something as Alan Pangborn, I don't feel like. Like that wouldn't happen in this no. day and age. No, it would have been like Ashton yeah. Kutcher or something. Yeah. It's like, what a go-to <laughs> bullshit thing. He hasn't even been in movies. David Boreanaz. Like, David that's Boreanaz, why I yeah. liked Rooker as Pangborn because I just felt like he's not like conventionally like... Well, you cool. because well, well, uh, well, Rooker has hair, so I guess that's what are you like saying? Are you going against uh, uh, yeah, Ed Harris? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think like seeing, you know, Ed Harris and, and Bonnie Bedelia, who are, you know, I mean, Bonnie Bonnie looks amazing, but she's like in probably in her early 40s at this point, somewhere around there. She looks like uh, one of Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriends. Yeah. In the show Seinfeld. Well, how did tell. you feel about it, Matt? Because you watched the theatrical cut. How did you feel about their relationship? I was left wanting more, for yeah. sure. I really wanted to see them bang it out and bang, <laughs> <laughs> bang it out. No, no, no. no. I, I, I really love, I, first of all, I love their connection in the book. So I was really hoping we were going to see a lot of that in this. And I kind of liked, even though I thought, there were changes that they made with those characters in the movie that I, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't. I kind of liked the schmaltzy romance stuff mm-hmm. in the beginning when he goes and like proposes to her at the yeah. diner. It's yeah. like, it's so fast and out of nowhere, but you're like, eh, I like both of these characters and I want them to be happy. Well, how did you feel about them abandoning <laughs> the, uh, the backstory of, of, of Alan's family being dead? That is hard because I think they purposely did that knowing Dark Half had come out earlier that year i think they purposely distanced themselves from any of that stuff dealing with the dark half and i guess they didn't really have to mention that stuff because you remember more talking about how obviously his family dying yeah 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 i think i think they realized that they just had more of a 
you know, the, the, the movie has a real camp feel to it. Yeah. And I just feel like that would have grounded it way too much in a darker reality that they were willing to go. Yeah, they de- they definitely, I mean, they chisel backstories for pretty much everyone in this movie with the exception of maybe Buster, which they actually pretty bring it. Like they weld a lot of it I mean, in yeah, they have him um, in the theatrical cut. He kills his wife, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty straight from the. It is yeah. kind of weird then they try to make him like the. Well, if you think about like the the stuff with Polly and the stuff with Alan would require so much just like heavy lifting yep. to explain all this stuff and to 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 earn that drama and to like nail that drama and even in the three hour cut, I don't think it would fit. And I agree. I, you know, it would just be a lot. And so I, I get the economical changes that they're making yeah. here. Um, in a way, though, it just feels like all the hard edges have been sanded off this book, like in this film, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some of that is to like, like. I mean, not not just with Alan and his family and them excising all of that, but like the idea, I guess in the original draft, because I was reading about this, Brian did kill himself. Oh, yeah. uh, well, they wanted to do that. And then the studio was like, uh, no dice. Yeah. That's not happening. Yeah. So, but it, it does lose something when yeah. he doesn't. It's, oh, one thing, speaking of Brian, when in, uh, in the TV cut, they don't actually show him holding the gun on his head. So you just like are like, what is he doing? It's so weird. Uh, really? So, yeah, yeah, because it was on TV. Like, that's the thing is they could do uh, this guess, for, yeah. they could do this three hour cut, but it's still TV. So there's all this bad ADR. Yeah. Like we were laughing about a lot of it. And, um, uh, but then when Brian is holding the gun to his head, they did this weird zoom and they're just basically chopping the frame. So Brian's face is like way on the far side of the frame. So you can't see the gun being held to his head. So it's this hyper zoom. And then occasionally the, the edge of the gun will come in. It's like in, um, in, uh, Stuck on You, the Fairly Brothers movie with yeah, Matt Damon yeah. and Greg Kinnear. Like when, oh, God, when they're, when they're trying attached, to cut him out. And they're trying to cut him out, but you see like <laughs> of, Matt Damon's face come into the frame a couple honey times. And the bees? It's, yeah, it's literally, <laughs> it's literally like that. And this, like the edge of the gun comes into the frame a well, couple it's really, times. It's just so awkward because you're, it, that scene already, when it's in the theatrical cut and you see him there, already feels kind of like forced in. Um, and they don't really get to the, the kind of inner turmoil that, uh, you know, Brian's going through. So to see it, you know, thrown in then, and then also with no gun, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Anyway, back yeah. to Alan Why, and Polly. It just looks like he's creeping up on this kid. Yeah. 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 It's oh, so look, weird. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I didn't know you were uh, taking a, you know, uh, some time next to the beach. I will say, though, I I adore Ed Harris in this yes. movie. He's, I think he's perfectly cast. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, yeah. Mac. No, yeah. But I, I, I love him. And I think, like, when we could not repeat, like, every line he said oh, in our best well, Ed Harris Well, even when he's not talking, <laughs> we're just like, you know, this guy leaves a you know a pretty dirty place here. Yeah. It's like, or, oh god, I, I can't even think of some of the lines. Where you're just like, we were just making. Oh, up that lines. was a change that I thought was really interesting. Was it within like the first like 20 minutes of the movie, we've got Pangborn going into Needful yeah. Things. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. What did you? What think? are we you doing had some here? Thoughts about this that? Is, I was like, this is really weird. I think it works better cinematically because I don't think that you can do it where they don't meet each other. I mean, maybe if it was like a 10-part Netflix series or something like that, yeah. and you're just waiting and waiting for them. But in a movie, like you need them to have the interactions. And, and, and I agree, because I did uh, those interactions in uh, that early in the movie. It's still They're still pretty great. And I love like, they're when... They're pretty like, priceless. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I think you're right. If it had been a miniseries, we could have... We could have waited. We could have kept that like, oh, are they ever going to bump into each other kind of thing? Well, here's, here's a question I had because I could not remember this for the life of me. Um, when, in the theatrical cut, does he have the scene where they're, they have pie to, or they have, they have uh, Polly's uh, Devil Flues kit? Yes. They do have that yeah. with next to the fire that's, and everything? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. I just um, couldn't remember if that's... sure, yeah. 
because that that scene is great. Yeah, and, it's and really you get, good. Like these, you know, these two legends. <laughs> Vax von Sadow, I think, is really good. But I will say, and maybe this speaks to um, Mel, because Mel felt like Leland wasn't that well defined in the book, and I agree to you know to a degree. But um, I do feel like as good as Max von Sydow was in this, I leave the movie with not much of an impression of him you know i, what I, mean? I have some quotes from the man himself Ooh, let's oh, hear yes. it well he called me this morning oh uh, wow no these are actual real quotes oh, wow. from fangoria so no bit there um but uh he said i'm trying to play gaunt the way stephen king has written him uh what i like it uh, with it is that he has portrayed a very nice man as a very urbane and courte- uh, courteous and charming man who through this attitude and through this concept appears not to be dangerous i mean that is a truly dangerous person uh, and uh, and he personally doesn't really do anything. Mani- <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, he goes, and he clarifies. He manipulates other people to set other people up against each other, and I think it's a brilliant way of manipulation. And then he talks about his role with Ed Harris because he, you know, they had asked like, "Well, hey, uh, did you get to see him in the Abyss? Like, he's great." Uh, and he's like, "I'm very happy to work with Ed Harris. Uh, I'm just sorry we didn't have much to do with each other here. We have one scene, uh, just him and me, and then we are both involved in the big climactic ending." And that's not the kind of scene I really enjoy to do. But I think he is one of America's best actors today, no doubt. He has a great screen presence, and he has a great intensity and a total authenticity. And he also gives you a feeling that there is a tremendous energy. I love that I just totally ditched his, his accent. <laughs> I know, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, behind what he does and that he could be very dangerous. And when he lets go, he is very dangerous. Did you see Jackknife? I think that was a magnificent interpretation. Man, he's going off. Or the one he did in State of Grace, for example. Very good. Yeah, he does. Like That's pretty awesome. Um and he a also real admit, film buff here. Yeah, he's a real Ed Harris buff. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe uh, Sidow has a, a Ed Harris podcast that we don't know about. Um, anyway, uh, I I agree with him though. I think that the intensity that Harris has in here, like in the theatrical cut when he just walks in, like this is like almost pretty much like the first time you see him at the like it's, the sheriff's. It's one song. of the first times. See, that, that was my thing. I felt like I I look. I love Ed Harris. Okay? Yeah, I really yeah. do. I, I love him in a lot of films. I think he's a fantastic. All right, actor. all right, get to uh, it, Ed. We love you. Uh, but I do think that. He comes out the gate, and and this is probably due to like all the cuts and everything. And, uh-huh. But like that 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 sheriff sequence where he like loses it on like, Norris, but he's losing their mind. It, <laughs> it is like we are starting at eleven. Yeah, do you know well, what I mean? Yes. The and like the movie originally started with a giant car chase. And that's, I know, and, and that's, that's where it's coming. And up. like that that would make more sense had we had that car chase. Well, in the but beginning. the thing that's crazy but is they take just, that scene out. He's coming from I know, but he's coming from the diner I think where he just like yes. proposed, and then he just like fucking loses it like that. Yeah. And I'd well, look, no, but that losing scene in the hallway is not in the three hour cut even after this oh, chase, really? which is crazy to me. Like, oh, what, that's what is, weird. That makes yeah, no that sense. Make any sense? And so I do. I do really like Ed Harris, and I like him as Pangborn, but I. I think I'm more partial to Rooker, and I think it's just because he's a little bit more grounded in that movie. I think that because I think Rooker does a better job at nailing Pangborn from the dark half, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I think it's just I think he just nails that in that movie. Yeah, this I don't. I feel like he's not the Pangborn, and it's because they chop up Pangborn's character in this movie. They do, yeah, a bunch. They he loses his whole backstory, so you don't really there's there's no there's nothing there. There's nothing there to grapple with. Well, yeah, they just say him. he moved from Pennsylvania from Pittsburgh. Yeah, he's like he's Pittsburgh. not even from Pittsburgh. there. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. <laughs> they like they changed this whole like shtick. He's not even from the town. Uh, yeah, it's really strange. And there's like there's moments in the movie that I really liked, and it was like, oh man, they they knew they had Ed Harris probably at this point, and they wrote this scene, like the scene when he walks in the church and he's like, 
what does the devil look like, Father? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I'm like, like, this is such a fucking movie scene, you know? Like, it, but it, it's in a great, in a great way. But I, it's just like, you see, uh, you see what your God gave you, <laughs> or just when he's like, when he when he looks at him and he starts walking by him and he's like, he got to you too or whatever, you yep. know? Like, like it's such a great, it is a great scene. Yeah. And I love him in that. Mike ad the, the line that 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 just, I've remembered, which is when he's walking <laughs> to the church and then he's just like, I need God on my side right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So like I do, I do love him, but I think I think I just have I think I just ended up liking Rooker more uh, personally. Yeah, I think just you've because got I something they, against they, bald people. I think Ed Harris is great. I, I I would take Ed Harris over Rooker any day. Sorry, Rooker, but uh, he's you know I I do think that he he's got my Pangborn vote. Well, he gets a little. I mean, it's weird because. Pangborn doesn't have much of a presence. I mean, he's obviously in the dark half, but I don't feel like he, he clearly doesn't have as much of a presence as he does in Needful Things here. And at the same time, it, it, the, the, you know, Romero's adaptation of the dark half is clearly more reverent to the source material than, you know, uh, it is in Needful yeah. Things here. Um, so you do get a more true to life Pangborn in the movie, the dark half. You get his family too. Yeah, right? exactly. Know, and yeah. I think that, I think not having, I feel like I understand them cutting out Polly's history here in this Needful Things, but I think you could have still done the the Pangborn stuff with his son and well, everything. Because like instead strange. they weld well, well they weld this other thing in there. It's like he clearly was like punching or hurting other people in Pittsburgh as a as a cop. Like he he had an anger issue or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're getting at that, but like you could have easily had something where he you know is dealing with grief of his family and like that relationship could have still been stronger if you had that drama. In there. And I, and I like this is something that I loved in the book that they didn't bring to the movie, which was you know everybody has a needful thing that they want you know i don't care how good you are like yeah. even even pangborn who's like who's written very very like the perfect human being even when he goes into the store he still has the idea of like finding out what hap- what really happened to his family so when you take that away yeah he's just kind of like this force for good that's just there yep. but there's no there's he doesn't have any personal well, grappling except yeah. for maybe polly like being you know turned against him but even then, but I, that I, I loses don't know. teeth too because, and this is the thing: is when you take away Polly's backstory, when you take away uh, Ace, and you take away Alan's backstory, you're the, all. That's the end game. Yeah, all of that stuff wrapped together is the end game. And when you take all that out, it means rejiggering the entire third act, well, yeah. which is fine. I mean, that's what you have to. That's like the hard choice that you have to make when you're trying to turn a 900 page book into you know a two or three hour movie. You have to cut like certain things and you're totally right when you talk about the heavy lifting of doing those backstories. But when you do it, you need to come up with an ending that is as impactful. And the thing is, Alan and Polly both lack complexity and motivation here. And that's why Danforth ends up being the one who has to take out Gone because they kept his complexity in. Yeah, his story is the whole is 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 true to true to the book. And that is like one of the most most interesting parts of the, of the movie. Yeah, and uh, so you kind of buy it. He, he he's kind of like trash can at the end. Yeah, you know? he is. Oh, totally. He's like the, the 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 evil that he's kind of made turns against him or whatever. But yeah, but trashy never turns against Flag. He brings him a bomb. But, that well, blows y- up. right. But yeah. then, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's it's more yeah well that's <laughs> but the it's, thing. it's you know it's, what I mean but like, it's the classic like, case of like his tools coming back to to hurt him. yeah exactly yeah. but the, yeah that's the thing is like King doesn't traffic in redemption a lot which is one thing I like about him he when people go evil they are evil and they don't turn well, back except for Jack Torrance um yeah uh, yeah which is right yeah um which is the that's why the Kubrick movie <laughs> well, the, the is good the real evil of that book is the alcohol yeah but. And, I mean, he does traffic in redemption, but it's like 
a lot of times when people turn bad, they don't get a chance no. to be good again. No. And so it, 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 you know, I like the arc and I think it's, it was probably the smart thing to do cinematically because they were probably had probably written themselves into a corner. Cause they're like, well, a, we, we cut all this backstory out. B, we can't do the magic shit because it doesn't make sense on the page. It's not going to make sense on film. So they're like, what do we do here? And like, and then it's just kind of like funny because Danforth literally blows him up like a suicide bomber, but then Leland just walks out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did like that because, you know, other, other than him turning into his true form, yeah. which we won't get into. Oh, the dwarf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked how he just strolled out again. He's just like, oh, shit. What? And he has the handcuffs. I like that. Yeah. It's a nice touch. And yeah. he hands him back to Norris, which is awesome. Or but. that weird, what do you guys think about that weird? And he's like, oh, yeah, you and Polly will get married. And then, you know, oh, I'll yeah. see your grandchild in the future. I like that. Or something like I that. I kind of like that. We'll have a yeah. time or whatever. But it was funny because he goes, your yeah. son's name will be Bob. And it's like, note to self, don't, don't name c- child Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I actually, hot take, I like the ending here better than uh, the the book ending. I think that the, I think that Pangborn sort of, um, Copra-esque uh, Mr. Smith, you know, going to Washington's uh, yeah, speech yeah. It works, especially I like that for this speech. movie. Well, like, it's his I think, delivery that and makes it's delivery it. fucking owns. Yeah. And like when yeah. he's just going, when, like when he just does the whole like Bad Boys Two thing, when he like points the gun, he's like, or the Point Break thing, when he's like, yeah. go, go, go. <laughs> like as if like the you know six gunshots, I guess, would stop the town from you know burning each, each other, whatever. I love that ending, and I think that like it, thematically it makes sense, and I think it actually would have made sense still in the book had he done that, other yeah. than just you know the cool magic tricks at the end. Um, I just but, don't like Danforth's like face turn. Um, yeah, it, it's a little much. Thing, I'll say this well, though: he's still bad. They, he just now he's just focused on right blowing up this other guy. You know, I know, he's not like he. And the thing is, they again. do they do earn it in a way because they just make him more like he, he loses his mind and becomes a cartoon in the book, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, and I like that because I, I like that. But in the movie, killing his wife is like, basically he, it drives him into a depression. Yeah. Whereas in, in the, the book, he doesn't, in the book, shit. it doesn't. Well, I do feel like there was a bit in the book where he wanted to kill himself after he, no, did he does. That. He does. Yeah. But then gone, gets him moving again. I, I, but I think that comes more from exhaustion as opposed to guilt. Yeah. Like, Whereas they, just like, they lean into the no guilt redemption. here. So I think it works, but at this, I just don't buy it. And like, the thing is though, JT Walsh is probably like a like up with Harris like best actor in this movie yeah because JT Walsh is kind of a perfect actor and we lost him way too soon yeah and like I don't know I've always loved him as an actor I've always found him so striking and so like I don't know you were like saying he's so cool like yesterday which is funny because you look at him and he looks like such a dweeb I know but he's got that voice you know and it's like that voice is unreal yeah it's like his delivery with uh you know to his wife yeah, when when he's just like you moron, like it's just like it's so it's so uh, it's just so like um, like mean spirited, but at the same time you're just like God, that delivery is so icy mm-hmm. and good, you know. Yeah, he was in a lot of. I remember I when I was really into theater, I obsessed over the fact that he was in a lot of original David Mamet productions. Oh, like I he was in that. the original yeah. production yeah. of Glengarry Glen Ross and of America. Well, one of the early American Buffaloes. Do you, what did he did he play Alec Baldwin's role? Uh, no, he played Kevin Spacey's role. Oh, weird. Yeah, oh, wow. but he was. I can imagine he'd be great at it. Yeah, but he yeah. played. Um, but have you ever seen American Buffalo the movie no. with Dustin Hoffman? No, I saw the play. Yeah, the play is incredible, and the movie's fine, but it doesn't really work as a movie. But he played sort of the Dustin Hoffman role mm-hmm. that Dustin Hoffman made famous in the movie, but uh, which is like a tour de force like fucking role. Yeah. And I would die to see uh, JT Walsh in that. So. Well, it's good casting too because I definitely would always get JT Walsh and Dustin Hoffman mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Well. Um, uh, uh, but I guess for me, that's 
it's such inspired casting. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and I guess it says something that when I read Needful Things, I always think of of Alan Pangborn as Ed Harris. Ditto. And I always think of Danforth as J.T. Walsh. Even when I was young, before I'd ever seen mm. the movie, I knew they were in it. Uh, but I never think of Max von Sydow as gone. See, I th- that's the thing. It's like I knew all the casting, and I just kind of, you know, pegged them all. I told you this, but. I, I've not said this in the pod. The person I always imagine is gone, even when I was young, and this is weird, but because he's he doesn't play like scary characters. I don't know his name, but he plays the small town doctor that Rob Lowe meets in the stand. Yes. Um yeah. who he sees dead in the car uh, later. That like yeah. that kind of like yeah, Weasley yeah. squirrely guy. And then he also is in Mrs. Doubtfire. The dinosaurs. As, yeah, the dinosaur guy. And so he's like always kind of a comic, hapless actor yeah. in things that I'd seen him in, but he was always in sitcoms and stuff back then too. And he was the guy I imagined, but I imagined him, you know, getting the chance to actually be this evil character because he's so unassuming, yeah. you know? And I thought, I always imagined him playing that role. Well, and, the weirdest thing yeah. about this casting is that, like, you know, because I, I love Side Out, and like, I actually think the casting is for the most part pretty pitch perfect in this movie, but, um, it, it is weird that like he didn't get his dad Heston to play like you know I bet he asked yeah. I, I'm sure he asked he's like that stupid movie you know, you're making <laughs> no that, that's kind of that was kind of my I wonder if that was a line of thinking was like oh let's give it to Heston's son maybe we can get Heston as gone yeah I because been. I was I thought that afterwards I was like oh he would have been really good he would have been good he would have been really good and would have been cool to my see store. you have Moses playing the devil and that's kind of like that that quote that the, from the the trivia or whatever but like that would have been really cool yeah you know who we were saying would be the perfect gaunt but it would have to be in a much different movie david lynch yeah oh yeah. how oh, good wow. would that yeah. be yeah. like it was, in uh, lynch's version <laughs> come into my store needful things you're back in my store and you're looking for things but it's not really the items you seek <laughs> but the need <laughs> uh, come to my it. basement um so who else who else stood out for you uh, in the cast? Well, hey, you one of your favorite actors in this. Why don't you just go all in on Kit McKinnon? I love Ray McKinnon. I don't oh, think yeah. he's very good in this. No, he's not. <laughs> all right, Ray well McKinnon, there you go. Ray McKinnon, literally one of my favorite actors. His performance in Deadwood, he plays the Reverend in the uh, early parts of the story. Yeah. It's one of my favorite performances of all time. I've yeah. written essays on his performance in Deadwood. I think he is he's so, so good. good, and he's also a writer director. He created the show Rectify. Love Rectify on oh. on the Sundance Channel. Really Love excellent show. show. He wrote and directed that, and he's made some movies, too, with his wife, Lisa Blount, who is also in Needful Things. I can't remember who she plays, but she's in it. I think he, she... He's a great uh, villain and uh, slash good guy in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah. In Sons Love of Anarchy, he's on it. I love awesome. him. He's so good. But then, so I was... And I remember thinking, I'm like, like, well, he's perfect casting for Norris. Like, And he's who I imagined Norris as when I was uh, reading. Yeah, me too. When I was reading, but... I mean, I think it's a, a consequence of the writing, too. Like, Norris just doesn't get the same, like, development here. No. And, and I mean, he doesn't even get, the like, the redemptive arc. He doesn't get the... He the just gets of... the Barney Fife-ish. Well, that yeah. is another thing that's really weird about this movie. And even with the, the the director's cut is that you never really get a sense of this, like, intimate connection with the items. Right. And that's really important oh, for this 100%. book. 100%. And, like, you know, you get it a little bit when you get to see, um, you know, Brian Rusk's uh, mother in the the director's cut which she has the Elvis glasses and stuff like that you do actually get to see that a little bit but even then it seems it's it's all for like kitschy effect yeah. and not really any sort of like emotional resonance that's like a part of this like yeah. you get these like weird black and white flashbacks of the items mm. but you never really get a chance of like a sense of like what that actually means uh, to them because you don't spend time with like 
with them like on it like you get you get one scene in the in this in the the tv cut where brian's with the card and his mother is in the room like you know ostensibly masturbating uh while she's wearing the glasses and then that's it and even with like the stuff with danforth when he gets the race thing it doesn't ever really come off as this like redemptive solution for him or not redemptive but like this sort of solution to his life like you just get this like oh He's you winning the, money. Well, he's black and, and white and shots. That's something like, that they, they do is it's more like they're experiencing how it felt to be maybe those. Like, I don't know like when Rusk touches the card. It's almost like he's at the game. He's, you know, he's yeah, that. Yeah. It has nothing to do. And, and I, like we said this with the book, too, but Rusk is very innocent. So that, that might be enough for him. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. Just having the card and that experience because he doesn't really have anything to, like, romanticize. He's still young. But... Like I was curious about that with Cora because there's more deleted scene stuff with her character because yeah. she shows up at the end. All you all you see in the original version is, is you see her at the very end wearing the king's sunglasses. Yeah, and, you know when all the towns on the streets like going crazy, and I'm like, oh, that's Cora, but like she's not in the movie at all before that. No, they have so a lot I, of it. I was it very America, curious. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot more with her. Yeah, yeah. it's it's and, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. It's very campy, but yeah. There's like a scene of like I like that they actually take their time with it because mm-hmm. it does show the connection between the objects like she lays in bed with a king bust with the glasses on and like kisses it and yeah. it's like kind of unnerving and it feels like the book. Yeah. But um and yeah, but like but, but they kind like- of they lean on her a lot in ter- in the TV cut to sort of establish that bond. The only other one that really works for me in terms of the actual bond between item and person is Polly and that's because it's so visceral. Of course, yeah. Because yeah. and and I think Bonnie does a good job with the playing the arthritis, yeah. you know? And yeah. they don't they don't focus on it a whole lot, but I think Hughes also works too. Well, yeah. It because he's romantic. I guess if you read the book, you know that he's really it's more him romanticizing like that was the best time of his life. Yeah. But they don't really illustrate that enough in the movie for no. you to get that unless you have read the book. So, and, and, and it's a it's a smart switch. And we were talking about that when we were watching. Is that like I like the I actually like the jacket better than the foxtail because mm-hmm. I think it's it's a more personal, intimate object. But yeah, I agree. Like if yeah. they would have shown more of like him walking around, like feeling better about it or something like that, just a yeah. little bit more, just do a little or, more legwork there, or even like Nettie with the yeah. figurine. Like I liked. The weird thing that see that was it's a little it's muddy because when Nettie has her flashback it's not, it's just a, it's just a reminder of something awful yeah. yeah so it's like why do you even want that figurine when when all it did, all it did was remind you of when your husband was beating you yeah like, like it's weird that that's her flashback not with her like romanticizing the figurine like having them again it's like she has this awful memory but it, it's interesting though because she kind of leaves and is like she's kind of almost like out the door and then he ends up getting getting her they rush take it. it yeah but yeah I, I don't know I, I loved her in the movie I do too Amanda she Plummer I thought was perfect casting yeah phenomenal uh, she actually shares something with you uh, she couldn't watch this movie because she didn't like to see the animal cruelty oh yeah. I'm very similar Randall I went to, to CVS I went to CVS to go buy uh, go buy some snacks when during the dog scene I Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I also found it interesting that the the altercation between her and Wilma was like, behind closed doors yeah and i think that's part of one of the best parts of the book was that it's so out in the open and it's so crazy and over the top people don't even really believe it's happening yeah and, it, and it's almost i just thought that was interesting i mean i guess it makes more sense that it would be behind closed doors because why would gaunt want these things to start happening so quickly you know yeah. what I mean? he wants it to unfold slowly but yeah i, I, know, th- I thought that was another switch i liked a lot of changes was them yeah. actually fighting in the house because i actually think the closed quarters is a little bit more like terrifying um, I thought that you, sequence was filmed pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like the, the, I, I like the idea it's that brutal. like the, the the natural setting and the 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 thing is like I really like the production designs in this movie. I thought that I mean, like I mentioned before, I this really does feel like Castle Rock for me, and in, in the same sense that I thought the sets looked real and lived in enough where I can actually believe where these characters are going to be in, and especially that's the case when we get to like Wilma's farm, and you're in these like really really like almost like claustrophobic um uh you know areas and corridors and so when you're having like cleavers and like knives being mm-hmm. wielded around there's something like really like uh terrifying and unnerving about it so like and it gets really gnarly like we, we didn't get to really see it much in the tv cut yeah, but like they cut. show some gore in like in the the actual movie like the theatrical cut like you see like the cleaver go into her shoulder and it's fucking gross and um, and to have that with the laundry and everything, I just thought the the design there was cool, and the idea to take it away from a street made it a little bit more believable to me. And also, had they have done that, it would have felt repetitious at the end when you have like everyone on the street doing it. It yeah. just would have been like, oh, we've seen this already. But, sure, sure. I I will say I thought it was funny that they cast a Rottweiler as um as Raider Raider because. That's it's 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 like a sweet dog like in the book. It's a yeah, it's a little tiny. Sweet yeah, dog. but I obviously I love Rottweilers and pit bulls. Uh, yeah. I am not here to demonize them, but I think at that time, uh, the like you know they knew they had to kill a dog, but they're like, well, we can't kill a nice sweet dog, so get a dog that you know, like a murder are dog of. or something like that. Get a murder dog, yeah, like Rottweiler. Um, uh, <laughs> what but, if it was? What if it was a Saint Bernard? Uh, that would have been hysterically funny. Yeah, like what if he tried to kill it and then. Kujo just said, "Not today, moron." <laughs> uh, that uh, is funny. Mike, um, what did you think of Reverend Rose, the, the Major Briggs? Major Briggs. I, it was Twin great Peaks. seeing Donis Davis. Uh, he didn't do much. Though, he didn't do not much. Even in the extended <laughs> know, cut. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, Davis was popping up a bunch around this time. Like he was the Doctor in uh, "Look Who's Talking," uh, starring. Uh, <laughs> Uh, John Travolta and Kirstie uh, Alley. What a, what a reference to pull. I just Scully, remember Scully, as a kid, Scully's father, he's Scully's father. X-Files. Always playing kind of the same, uh, you know, it has a high authority like, of, of yeah, some yeah, sort. He's always like a naval officer or something. That, that was an, yeah, that was an actor who leaned into his type and <laughs> yes. worked all the time oh, yeah. because of it. Yeah. And he might have overworked himself because he he died young, though. So, yeah. Um, he, it is. He, it, I, loved, I love Donis Davis. I love that... Uh, I do wish we got a. Actually, I don't wish we got a little bit more because he's part of an arc that is my least favorite of the book. So yeah. I was glad that we got just. I will say I love the guy who played um, the father, of the Catholic priest. I thought he was he was chewing the scenery in ways that other people in the cast could have more. Yeah, W. Yeah. Morgan Shepard. Which, I've seen him in other stuff. He was really good. He was a big voice actor. So ah. you know he he. he oh, wow, he only died uh, last year. Oh wow, yeah, at, too uh, bad. Age eighty six, but. Um, yeah, I mean th- that's the thing. It's like the casting's not bad. It's just in 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 the setting's not bad. It's just the the writing and the the, the some of the a lot of the direction is just it's it's really weak. 
and it it, it lacks some sort of um, grasp. I yeah, think it's it also just like kind of laborious. Yeah, like it plods, you know. And the three hour version was even worse in that. <laughs> I know way. Oh, it God. just inched along, and I, you can see why they cut a lot of the chorus stuff because I think it does add shape to the movie. And um, it helps establish certain bonds, but at the same time, like, it becomes repetitive. And, like, did you see, like, any other, was there, like, any other smaller characters going into Gaunt's place and buying stuff? There's a moment, uh, I think at the beginning, when everybody's kind of there, and he references um, a couple of characters. It might even be Cora and someone else. Did you see as they're leaving. the guy uh, buy the Treasure Island book? Yes. Oh, okay. That's in there. And then he calls it Huckleberry Finn the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, I read in some of the trivia that they, at at some point, they uh, corrected that uh, with like a a dub. Oh, really? Yeah. They they noticed, someone noticed that. How did they not notice it when they put, good Lord. Yeah. Well, hey, here's an argument for that. What if uh, he thought he bought the Treasure Island and then everyone else saw it? Well, you know, that was the thing. That was another huge change here is that all the items are the items. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're not like because Ed Harris sees the Mickey Mantle weird, card. Yeah, yeah, because he sees the Mickey Mantle card. He's like, thought, "Hey, this is uh, <laughs> what if he just leaves? Yeah, like, a, I'm gonna go I sell know, this." He's like, "He's like, fuck you, Brian. <laughs> no, Mantle's not a. This is my ticket out of this town. <laughs> Mantle's not too bad of a ball player. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just gotta oh, get. Man, I, I just gotta, gotta get home. And, uh, you know, Polly, don't give me that shit right now. Um, <laughs> I, I made some meatballs. I will say that moment when I made Brian. Some Spaghetti Penguin. Spaghetti Penguin. When Brian yells, it's too late, I gotta go to hell. I thought that scene was still pretty good. I mean, it's definitely better when you see the gun. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely better. There's more like stakes there. What do we think about that actor who played Brian? Um, Yeah, that is one of those kids that I thought was like in a billion other movies, and I looked, and he's in a lot of stuff, but nothing I really remember him from. He played Matthew Shepard in a TV movie about Matthew (laughs) Shepard. I don't remember that. Uh, And then he also was in a movie in like 2009 that we found or something. yeah, know, it was like his last movie was 2009. Yeah, I was, I was, I really do wish it was just like you know Brandon Sexton the Third or something like that. Oh, that I love cool. Brandon Sexton the Third. Yeah, I think he would have been young enough too. Yeah, he probably would have been the right age yeah. for it. Oh, and and then uh, another character in the movie that I enjoyed was the music <laughs> by Patrick Doyle of such movies as Dead Again. I lo- look Dead Again. Well, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We those- should probably <laughs> save that for Nightmares and Dreams. Game. <laughs> okay, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is there any other characters that we want to talk about before we move on? I mean, I gotta just stress, I love Ed in this. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm a huge <laughs> Ed fan. If there was, you you're know, an Ed head. I'm, I'm watching Ed TV, and I'm not talking about the Ron Howard. <laughs> I'm talking specifically Harris 24 seven. I want, you know, I want like you know, History of Violence, The Abyss. Apollo 13. You know, uh, there's a great little mini series called Empire Falls on yes. HBO that Ed Harris is phenomenal in. Although very under, very, very muted in that movie. He's yeah. not very angry. <laughs> no, I, 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 I like I like fully fledged, like fucking balls to the wall Ed Harris. Oh, then Glengarry Glenn Ross. Is oh, he's yeah. Speaking yeah. of, he is so good in Glengarry Glenn Ross. Yeah. Like he blows my mind. Like, every line delivery is perfect in that movie. Yeah, he does. That's like Mike just referenced it. There's a bit when Alec Baldwin's, like, dressing him down in that movie. And uh, he's like, he's like my my watch costs more than your car or whatever. And Ed Harris does this, like, like twirly thing with his fingers. Like, eh. <laughs> it's so good. And then, but he has the best line when he's yelling at Al Pacino's character. And he, or, yeah, and he's like, you got the memory of a fucking fly. It's like, <laughs> the memory so, of a fucking fly. It's All right. so well, good. Well, well in, on that note, Apollo 13. Ed Harris is great in that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of wish that he got, he got gonna, to go to the spaceship. We're going to shout out actors. <laughs> uh, 
I would. I don't want to double down on JT Walsh. Oh, he's the yeah. Man. If you haven't seen Breakdown, which one of his last films with Kurt Russell, he's great in that, and he's also really great in Pleasantville. Yeah. 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 yeah those were. The, yeah. It's like. Yeah. It's just sad. He died so young. And fifty yeah. four. Yeah. And that dude just every single thing I've seen him in, he was great. Yeah. And. Uh, and just perfect casting for this. So oh, and I and I also think that uh, Bonnie Badia, she was she's she was great. Good. She's great. She's you always know? charming. Always charming. She'll always be uh, McLean's wife. Always McLean's wife. Yeah, I know that's a reductive way to refer to her. I just forgot her first name in the movie. Holly. <laughs> Holly. That's yeah. It. Holly Gennaro. Polly and Holly. I, which weird is that they've never really brought her back in the sequels, or other than the f- second one. It was like, well, you got the first they two. They talk and then, about her know. in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> And you wonder if she's on the know. line. I don't know why. I mean, you know, she showed up. She was on Parenthood forever. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. She was the mother. I'm that. glad she's still yeah, working. She, it's not like she disappeared. I just, I, I wonder why they didn't bring her back. Or, yeah. They're bringing a, me back. It's, it is a shame that they couldn't even just like, I mean, I guess like years wise, it wouldn't make sense to bring back Keith or Sutherland as a ace here. Man. If they did needful oh, things yeah. now, it would. But, you know. Too. Gaunt's talking to Hugh and that's, and he gives his whole backstory you know, he kind of like outs himself with Ace yeah. in the book. And instead they had him talking to Hugh about all of his, I've been through time and, you know, the scene, yeah. the empires fall. And I was like, this is really strange. Why are you talking to Hugh? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you don't, you don't really know him that well. He doesn't need to know any of this. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I, I do. All right. So there's one thing I, I will say, and I, I, don't, I think this could probably still be in Heroes and Villains, but like Pangborn's like big initiative to show that like, you know, Gaunt is bad is ridiculous. Like he's not like he goes in the basement, he sees newspapers and he's like, this guy's been in every one of these historical events, you know, and like, but like, think about it. You're at a store of antiquities and anyone who, like who's logical would have just been like, oh, where'd you get these, uh, these old newspapers? Oh, you know, that store that sells all those, uh, that old crap. <laughs> like, how does that prove that like Gaunt has been at all and these it's events? It's literally like, like plague kills everybody. Yeah. Hitler rises to power war. And then it's like two killed in Castle Rock. <laughs> oh my God. He's been in all of these. It's and it's not like, like he's like what is photos. It called when there's like, when there's just like an intense amount of evidence, Oh, What's I can't remember. Do you know, like, like when, like a Minority Report. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, it's like, uh, it's just like a, a slam dunk. It's like, yeah. a, it's like vomited. Like, like he goes down there, and there's nothing in there. Yeah. Except the most incriminating, evi- maybe evidence of all time. It's like, why would he even have these? Things? He would. Yeah, that, that so, makes no sense. Uh, like, it's, it's it's kind of silly. <laughs> but, I see you're reading my newspaper um, there. And I also thought that was what, our what, best what, place for quotes was when he was walking through Needful Things, yeah. and he would just like, "What is this junk here? <laughs> this guy this is better than my apartment." <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, this guy's uh, living large. Yeah, uh, get a maid. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah this, this guy ever heard of a maid? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, no, I so th- I just thought that like that whole reveal was just so forced and and lame. Yeah, it was weird. And then he like brings him back, and even like Ray McKinnon is just like, "What, what are you talking about?" Yeah. You know, like yeah. but waving around the papers. Yeah. Don't you see what he's done? Can't you? Believe he was at all these events. You he's know? not. A human being. No. Uh, I think on that note, it's time to move on to a little section we call Nightmares and Dreamscapes. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Ah, uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Uh, this is where we talk about things that we hate, maybe a few things we like, but I think it's going to be... Uh, mostly nightmares for real mostly nightmares for me specifically the tbs version we watched um it it was taped off the tv so there was ads popping up throughout uh the 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 screening and 
one of them was for a Stephen King marathon that was currently airing, and Dreamcatcher was going to be on next. Oh, can't wait. Oh, wow. But they were like, Stephen King marathon, and it was S-T-E-V-E-N. Yeah. Stephen King marathon. We, 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 we retweeted uh, Dan Flieger's uh, tweet about it. Yeah. And if you go on our you know Twitter or socials, you'll see it. It's ridiculous. It's just yeah, like sad. major TV network where your whole thing, like you're doing a marathon of Stephen King and you're spelling his first name wrong. Like how? That's so insane. <laughs> it's wild. It's insane to me. So I don't know. And I guess like for me, it just shows, I mean, even though this it this didn't air around the time the movie came out because it, they were showing Dreamcatcher, I'm not sure when this rip came from. Yeah. But it also just shows like how much more seriously we take Stephen King now. Than oh, we I did, know. Yeah. Than we used to. And uh, which I think is because of our podcast. Yeah. It's I think be, it's definitely because of our podcast. I think we've been really big on rehabilitating the image of King. Uh, look, we, Club we do our we do our best. Yeah. So, uh, what do you got, Mac? Um, something. A couple of things I wanted to bring some light to. We see Gaunt writing in his little black book, Port Elizabeth, and then he flips to Akron. You know, where and there's like names crossed out, and then some names not, and then moves forward. But then later on, uh. Pangborn says, yeah, we researched and, you know, Leland's not from Akron. Mm. But also in the beginning of the movie, he mentions multiple times that he's from Akron to other people. Yeah. Well, maybe he used so, a different I mean, name in Akron. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. But I was like, if you, it doesn't the town, if the town doesn't even, ex- even exist anymore after he had been there, don't, don't, don't they say, well, we don't know about Gaunt, but this other guy was here to just ruin the entire yeah. town. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't you think this someone... This guy opened a weird think, curio if he's shop calling, and If he's the calling town. the police of the town, don't you think someone would have mentioned, like, oh, yeah, but, you know... Like, oh, like, yeah, the town like, tore why, why do, pieces Or, like, why year. do you ask? Or, like, you know, some, someone could... You know, yeah. It's weird to me that, that 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 wasn't how he found out everything. Um, so that was kind of strange. Um, yeah, th- th- that's the thing. It's, like, these little, like, backstory details that were supposed to be either, A, revelations or... Uh, you know, be threading the narrative. Some are just so loosely loosely strewn together that it, it it is so clumsy. Yeah, the script is so bad in just terms of like narratively. Yeah, like just from inching from one plot point to the next, it more just like herky jerky, like shoves us into the next like motivation. Like the whole like the newspapers thing. It's like okay, well we got to get Alan knowing that that Leland is the villain, and we can't use the you know the the book plot because that's too laborious. So we'll just have him find some papers. You know. Yeah. And then we'll be like, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Which, again, is in a store for antiquities. <laughs> so they would, you know, conceivably have these newspapers there, regardless of the fact that if he was not in these events like he's in the fucking but it's Rolling also Stone like, song. Like, okay, it just seems like his power is diminished because if those newspapers are indicative of what he's done, it seems like he's brought plagues to yeah. the world. He's helped ri- uh, facilitate the rise of Hitler. He's helped, you know, start wars. And then in Castle Rock, he just gets some small town yokels to kill each other. Well, it does he's seem just like going from town to town now. Yeah. yeah. Well, here, that's, a, that's actually something I forgot to bring up. It, it, there is a part in the beginning where it seems as if like he's his hair is or oh, maybe that's in the book where is it in the beginning of the, the theatrical cut where it's the book okay maybe it's just the book yeah. ah forget it whatever Wait, what were you gonna say i was gonna say like, i i felt like and this is something i think i brought up in the book episode was just the idea that like his energy is like actually like uh, um giving him youth again or yeah. like you know power well, again i think in the book it, the implication i took from it was that people were seeing him differently based on what they would respond to best yeah and yeah. uh but he is consuming souls in the book yeah like that is part of it whereas the movie that's not a part no of it. no this like is and just... that's part of it too is it just doesn't there's no motivation for why he's doing it like at least the souls give something 
something. Yeah. You know, in the book. He says he has God on his side to Alan, though. He's just evil. Yeah. Well. Well, it is funny when they wanted to hang a uh, we reject the devil or whatever sticker in his window. Yeah. And he wouldn't do it. And we just kept joking. He's there like, well, I couldn't lot. speak ill of my employer. There yeah. is a lot of those kinds of things, it, even probably more so in the movie than the book, which I, I, st- I thought was kind of fun. A little fun, yeah. It's it's good. Well, and, that, and that's something I want to bring up is that like this is definitely one of those films that came out in the early '90s that uh, leaned more onto the the comedic tendencies of Halloween. It was more trick. Uh, it was a little more treat <laughs> than trick. Um, a little more uh, 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 ghoul than goblin. And you get a lot of I'd that. Say like you goblins get, like, are sillier than ghouls. You think goblins are? Go- yeah, I guess so. So yeah. a little more goblin than ghoul. A little more gobble well, ghoul. Ghouls and gobble ghoul. Um, ghouls and ghoulies are very different. I like ghoulies too. I know. I know. Um, I, but no, but like you get a lot of those around this time. It almost felt like um, Halloween was like popularized in a weird way. Like, um, like this movie to me, uh, to horror, feels the same way that like those McDonald's Happy Meals are to like Halloween. Like you get this like fun little like uh, you know toy little box, and it has all the little colors that, that, that tie to Halloween. You get, get a toy a inside station wagon. You get a little station wagon. So whatever you want like get some nugs it, it just reminds me get some nugs it, it, it's a it's a joyous celebration of a dark theme and that's what i feel like this movie and like hocus pocus and all these other films that were coming around in the early 90s do yeah. um and so in that sense i think it succeeds there but in terms of like well it's also a fucking um you know a horror book um and involves teen suicide <laughs> not even teen suicide like tween suicide, tween suicide. um you know, and uh, infidelity, all this other shit. So, like, I mean, and, and, you know, they don't go into the child pornography and stuff, but... No, they just... Uh, they they take the pedophile from the book, Frank Jewett, and then they just make... He, they give him Treasure Island. Yeah, he's, so. a, he's, a, he's yeah. an adventurer, um, as, a, as opposed to a different yeah. adventurer in, really the, in the book. Really rewrote his history. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I gotta say, though, if there's one thing that ruins this entire book for me, or the movie, do you know what I'm gonna say? It's the little electricity. Like, oh, yeah. Hands, oh, no, that's what no, I was no. going to say. <laughs> whenever he like hands an item to somebody, it's like... Yeah, <laughs> it's so it, lame. You see the little blue... like. Yeah, like, uh, you don't need it. I hate it. And there's so much of that like weird slow motion, like different filter on the camera yeah. moments. Like not only when you see the past, but also when there's like moments of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like that in the theatrical cut? Like, yeah, the, yeah that's... I hate it. it. It's strange. You know, it's I feel like back in the day there was just it was just like there was literally like a textbook probably that was like okay when you're doing slow mo in movies yeah. or when you're doing a memory here's the filters you should use kind of thing you right. know what I mean like I, I did feel like that I hate it um, but it's like so cheesy like I mean I get that this movie's a little campy or whatever but like I don't know like whenever he t- whenever he hands a product to somebody that like that electricity that like <laughs> that they actually visualize and they had sound cues for yeah. is so. Stupid. Well, it's, it's made even you know lamer by the the black and white vignettes. Yeah, like it's it's just so unnecessary. I mean, I guess you could do it and it's fine, but they're all so cliche and 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 lame and I don't know whatever. I just feel like today, as soon as they touch the card, it would just be like they're they're in that world all of a sudden. Yes, yeah. you know, like you like everything just falls away and they're like Brian's there at the game, yeah. like. It's not black and white. Like everything's a re- you know what I mean. Like or Cora's with Elvis. Like mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like there's ways to do that now in a really cool way. But I think that that's that's just that goes to say we've come a long way since the early '90s. I know. Of film, especially television. 
Yeah. Um, it would be like that. It would be like Shutter Island television or anything. But but if you're doing a miniseries now, mm-hmm. you could really do this movie justice. Oh, I, I mean, know. This, this book justice. Hey, Castle Rock season uh, three, maybe. Hey, uh, now let me just say, stand, I, we'll I, see if they do it justice. One man's nightmares, another man's dreamscape. Patrick Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, got, I just got to talk about the music. So the music op- the music starts this movie in the, the theatrical version where, you know, you just see Gaunt driving into town and the music comes in and I immediately knew it was Patrick Doyle. Oh, wow. I you guys love, are all such like soundtrack I, heads. I love I, I scores. I love scores. I'm so yeah. not. And I think Patrick, Except for a kindergarten cop soundtrack. Oh, you do I, love oh, the kindergarten cop soundtrack you're, you're, too. And he wanted <laughs> it in the movie. I wanted but it Pat, in this but, movie. But Patrick Doyle... The problem with Patrick Doyle's score here is that the movie, they don't work well together because the movie's already this like campy, amplified thing. So Patrick Doyle does a really good job of scoring, uh, not just uh, he's the kind of, he's the kind of guy that'll score to the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, like, like there's there's like uh, flourishes whenever when little things happen in the movie. You know that he was writing along certain sequences of the movie, not just like writing a broad theme and then they're just playing it behind what's going on. And I like that attention to detail a lot. And I think you see that in a lot of his other things. But I think it, you have to have the right director. And he's kind of Kenneth Branagh's go-to man for a lot of Kenneth Branagh movies, whether you like Kenneth Branagh or not. Um, but I think Fuck Patrick Kenneth Doyle, Branagh. like like Dead Again. I, I keep saying this, Dead Again. Go watch Dead Again. That score is great. But that makes sense in that movie because of what's going on. In this movie, yeah, it, it, it comes off a little over the top. Yeah. But I still really enjoyed it. I'm just, you know, just as a big Doyle head. Uh, and uh, I I was happy to see it, and I do like the two pieces of music that they use, um, like the uh, like like Ave Maria when he's like yeah. When, oh, did you notice that he's he's doing the thing that Mel hates? Yeah, the the, the, the nails and the and the, he's 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 like he's got the he's blood gripping his hand. They don't really show, it, but you know he's doing that. yeah. Because like moments after that is the Raider sequence. Yep. Uh, and um, there's also I think it's uh, oh what is the other piece of music? I put it in here. Hall of the Mountain King, yeah, Hall of the Mountain King, which is used in the trailer as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, I this I, I summer from Castle and Rock Ga- Entertainment. Gaunt's theme with Polly, yeah, it does. It to me, it sounded a lot like the theme from Vertigo, but yeah. I, I still like that. Nod. I like that a lot. Yeah. I just wish they used the Tommy thing. Boy score for this movie. You know, I mean, we've talked a lot about what we didn't like and what we did like. Was there anything that we have left out that you want to highlight here? Wait, let me uh, I guess, take a look at my notes. I, I guess yeah. for me, it's just, it, it was more along the lines of like, you have this playground and you have all the people that you need and just the the fumbling of execution for a lot of these things is just really just aggravating because it's like, I'd like all these elements to work, you know? And that's what ultimately is the most frustrating thing about this movie is that you like, when you have like all the pieces and you can't assemble it the right way, it's just so aggravating as a viewer to watch. It's such a plot driven book that you, you can't cut out major points of plot and expect it to still work. Like, and, and that, yeah. I'm usually really excited to watch the movie. And I was. I'm excited to watch the movie after I read the book. Sometimes I'm like, oh, God, I can't even wait to finish the book because I want to watch the movie. But about 20 minutes in, I just, it was a slog to watch. I just, I was not, yeah, it's I just not felt fun. like not invested. It I lacks just, spark. It, it la- lacks yes. investment. It lacks imagination. And it doesn't, like I said, this is like, was what I was trying to articulate at the beginning of the pod, which is like, it doesn't feel like it was made by somebody who loves King Mm-mm. and it, and it feels, and it's not, it, yeah. And it feels boilerplate in a lot of ways where King 
you know, the best king demands a little bit of imagination, a little bit of ingenuity. Like this feels like a studio movie from the early nineties and they're trying to wedge this story in there. And even in, as, as, as King went on to start to kind of let go of his books a little bit more in terms of, uh, adaptations and things, you know, I feel like there's an adaptation of his, of his books every year. Or, or, or yeah. in a television series, or whatever. And he, you know, I know he goes on press junkets or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, it's great! I love yeah. it! I love it! I love it!" Whether he loves it or not, I don't know. But I think that he's kind of he's kind of sat back and gone, "Okay, he's not so tied to them doing a, 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 a perfect, faithful version of yeah. his book." I think he some there's sometimes where I, I feel like he genuinely is like, "Oh, like I was really interested in what they did with the ending with this mm-hmm. version." And I think he's genuinely like, if it's if it's creative and it works, it's like, "Well, I I, I didn't in my book that way, but that's that would have that would have been the way." Yeah. Uh, I feel like so, but back then, creative license wise, I don't know if he would have uh, given this his stamp of approval. Although I do agree with you, Mike. I think that the ending of this is a little bit more how I would have ended yeah. the book. Yeah. I always, again, I felt the magic was just so out of place in that book. Because, um, I mean, think about it even thematically just for Painborn himself. Like, in the book, they keep talking about how, like, you know, Bannerman, Bannerman, blah, blah, blah. And, like, yeah, they like Gallon, but they don't, you know, they always think of Bannerman. If it was, like, Painborn that actually was able to rope and unite everyone at the end, that seems like a really um, thematically sound place for him to be at the end, as opposed yeah. to this magician who leaves and abandons his town. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it seems so for, for me, like I think that's actually a really good strength of the movie. Um, and in a way that like they were able to chisel down some of the story and actually make it a little more sense. And the interactions between Pangborn and Gaunt here are great. And it's just because you're getting two really fucking amazing actors that are going to be you know going up against each other and like that the scene on the bridge when they're like when it's raining and they're like yeah. fighting and he's talking about like the you know like gaunt's like oh i've got on my side and like you know painborn is just like getting into his like he, like gaunt's actually getting the worst out of painborn like there's some great stuff there that i wish they could have been able to kind of have that sort of energy and that tension everywhere else in the movie and you just don't get it and then and then that respect it's more the movie just boils down to something nice to have on in the on the you know on the the television while you're doing shit around the house during spooky season mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what this movie's reputation has become um but yeah i i you know that seems a little bit more overall thoughts but um, so I th- maybe we I don't know should we move yeah. on to the move on? yeah I'll just say I've been trying to find King if King ever said anything about this movie and I can't find anything yeah because we we had the quotes in our piece but I, I I mean I can check and see if he says anything but yeah know, but yeah I mean I'm sure he was like it's a great rootin' tootin' time when you're uh watching TNT <laughs> <laughs> so let's move in I hear the cemetery gates creaking I think it's time to visit the graves. Of the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. All right, what was scary? Anything, the only thing, anything, the only thing I thought was, I think because I didn't, I didn't know how they were going to do it or wh- what they were going to do this time was when Nettie finds the skin dog. Yeah. Yeah. I, it wasn't like I was scared. I was just like, wow, did they not, they took that 
to like 11 and I, but I thought it was horrifying to find your dog skinned and hanging in the closet rather than glad I left screw in the chest. It was pretty awful. Uh, but that's honestly that. And then if, if, if Rusk had killed himself, yeah. that scene is done really well. But the fact that afterwards he's like, he tried to kill himself, you know, that kind of thing. Whatever. You're just like, they apparently yeah. added that line later. Yeah. Because they, yeah, because they don't show anything. Yeah. So I mean, they probably did film it where he actually killed himself. Yeah. That'd be crazy if they have it where, like, you know, you see the young actors like bring the ball <laughs> over the wall or something. Or, and, um, then, and then it cuts to Ed Harris. It cuts the pegboard. And he goes, "Well, he was right. I was too close. I got that shit all over me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he really ruined that Mickey Mantle card. Um, I, yeah. He goes back. He starts shuffling around. You think he's trying to do something with Ross? And he <laughs> picks up the card. <laughs> I thought this stuff with you know Myrtle and eh, and Dan don't lose your head. right? Yeah. <laughs> It looks like this kid lost his head. Yeah, I Norris, the kid up there has lost his goddamn head, and this town has lost its mind. Um, I there isn't anything that scared me in this movie, even remotely. Like, I mean, the skin dog thing is pretty gnarly, and I, and I think that's part of the the forced nature of them trying to get you know wield some horror elements in here. I thought the way that the the knives are you know cleaving around was was pretty effective because I was just like like that would hurt just mostly out of like the sheer terror of having a blade yeah. going into you but like nothing that I was like you know later on that night being like oh god that was so scary. I think the scariest thing for me is also the pound cake. So, uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about yeah, yeah, that's a that's a nice segment to pound cake. I think it is uh let's eat after all you've been taught, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, mom. You like him. You really like him, mama. Who's hungry? Uh, I am hungry, and I'm not <laughs> trying to sound like a sexist pig, but uh, that scene with Gaunt and uh, Polly. Oh, man. It's a great scene. And I mean, I think Sidow was having a fun time. Probably. I think... You know, Bonnie Bedelia is gorgeous in this movie, and that sequence is really unnerving. It's for unnerving me as hell because yeah. Gaunt's so gross, and his teeth are just disgusting. And yeah. she's clearly just like fucking out of it, you know. And he's definitely taking advantage of the situation. And he puts and like his just, whole mouth on her. Yeah, yeah. Like it's sucking just, like, her chin. It's, it's horrifying, but it's and it's also like peak pound cake yeah. scene that is not in the book. No, so that was weird too. Um, it was surprising. I wasn't like if expecting it was Cora, that. I can understand because that is she's already like that kind of person, and mm-hmm. that like in her her you know relationship with the item is very sexually driven. So like I, I could have bought that more, but in this it was weird that he it becomes such a sexual thing uh, with the two of them. Well, they do a little bit with Cora in the the TV cut. I don't know if it's in the he she like comes on to Danforth and then he like blows smoke in her face and stuff. Oh like, yeah, and it's it's a pretty funny you know, scene. Something I don't think we mentioned in the book episode. I just want to throw out there. Yeah, was that I think Cora like slept with Ace at one point. Do you guys remember that? No, she, she mentions or, it wasn't Cora. Was I think it was Myra. S- talks about how she slept she with Ace. Like, at okay, one yeah, point. I just yeah. thought that was like a little interesting. Who hasn't? Like, oh, more hey. his- more history for Ace. Ace is a whore. <laughs> he likes to party. He does um, like to party. Um, but that honestly, but pound cake wise, that's pretty much it. It's I mean. it's a pretty saucy scene that uh, <laughs> that wasn't really had to be. It didn't, I was I was surprised that it was in the TV cut because having watched it in the theatrical one. I did wonder, like, did we miss this scene? And and then uh, ultimately it does pop up because, yeah, it, it is very PG-13. Um, but it's uh, played like a Red Shoe Diaries uh, episode. It so it's is. not very it's, terrifying. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. There's it's a lot like, of leering over 
Bonnie Bedelia's cleavage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the writer clearly read the book and listened to Alan when he yelled out, cleavage, yeah. we want cleavage. Well, I was, there's that, but also the book is obsessed with her boobs. Obsessed yeah. with breasts, yeah. 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 to quote Elaine Bennis, um, who uh, Bonnie Bedelia looks a lot like in this. Uh, in oh, this, yeah. You know, Hair-wise. So. I think yeah. Joey Drive would have been good. He's obsessed oh, with breasts. Obsessed with breasts. Um, who, would, who would Richard Dreyfuss have been in this movie? Oh, well, probably Gaunt. No, imagine Richard Dreyfuss. I think he would. Do you want one of these items or not? Get out of my store. He would have been a good Danforth. Oh, he would have been a great Danforth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I owe, I owe uh, twenty thousand goddamn dollars, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) It's my town, and you're not going to tell me what to do. Um, I, I, Ridgewick. Don't call me Buster. And then it blows up. <laughs> now, now, you listen to me, Gaunt. You don't call me Buster. Um, I, I just met you last night, and you're, you're out of my life. <laughs> that night was some American graffiti. Great. Yeah. He shows up like he shows up um, as uh, Hooper. So he's wearing like the, je- the, de- the, you know, the denim. And, you know, anyway, I would have loved Dreyfus I love sharks. Love them. Love sharks. Hey, uh, this isn't the only small town that I've been in. He like winks. <laughs> awful. <laughs> They're going through the remains of the house and they find this wallet. It says Matt Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he goes to the store. And uh, they're like, "Oh, I, I think I know what you uh, you would like uh, there, Danforth." And and then he like touches them, and you see the scene from uh, Mr. Holland's Opus when they're at the the parade, <laughs> when they find out his son's death. <laughs> Jesus. I just want a scene where he goes, uh, where he gets on Alan's boat, and he goes, "You're gonna need a bigger boat, Alan." <laughs> <laughs> this is my marina, and I know a thing or two about the sea life around here. Um, well, anyway, Richard Dreyfus was great in Needful Things. <laughs> he shows up at the, at the morgue. We need to cut Brian open to see if there's a license plate in there. I would just love it if, like, if they just turned uh, Keaton into Matt Hooper. And, yeah. like, like, in the world of Needful Things, he is playing his character from Jaws, but nothing else is different. What's wrong with all these towns? I go from one seaside town to the other. Um <laughs> I, I yeah, and then well, because yeah, he runs a marina or something. Yeah, in the movie. It's so weird. It would, it would work. You know, at, at one point, I was a, a marine biologist, and <laughs> I, I know I worked with shares before, Alan, and uh, they don't listen to me. Oh and these God. sharks do one thing: they eat and kill and make baby sharks. And this and this shopkeeper is doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> no. Okay, well, you know this shopkeeper reminds me of a of a of a shark I once knew. Well, well, it's funny because in the 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 TV cut we were watching, Jaws was supposed to be next. No, I thought Dreamcatcher they was. Kept, they, or they, maybe they're saying Jaws was tomorrow, but oh, we kept okay. seeing ads for Jaws. Yeah, so there were ads for Jaws. Hey, they, you know, they hey, knew. They knew even then. They knew that Richard Dreyfuss should have been playing Danforth Keaton. Well, um, thanks for indulging us that, listeners. I think it's time for us to move on to a little section we call. Final thoughts. Oh, oh no, no, we got no, some no. King's Dominion. Oh, it's King's Dominion yeah, time. Yeah. There's not much in there. Yeah, but there's we'll, not much. <laughs> might as well check and see what's around fun, there. I've got a fun one. Is it from Amity? There's another world out there. I know there is. Ah, King's Dominion, which I <laughs> forgot because there was none in this movie. Yeah, Max seems to have found one. There is a there's a sequence when uh, when Cora is walking around the uh, items. 
There's a box of shark eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Are you saying from Jaws? No, 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 oh, my my only King's Dominion. Let's just put that to rest. No, right. I, I have that. Oh, we already mentioned that Ed Harris was also in The Stand and Creep Show. Ray McKinnon is campion in, yeah, uh, in The Stand. stand. But one I did notice uh, after I was looking at the cast was Frank C. Turner, who plays Pete Jerzyk, is Mr. Marsh from It. Oh. Oh, wow. Interesting. And I, I didn't see it at first until I, I, I was like, oh, yeah, it is. So I, th- I like that little bit. Um, but they're really, like you said, because there was no reference to King's work or King in general, there really was no King's Dominion that I picked up on they other than stuff that might be St. Bernard in there somewhere. Well, you know what's interesting? <laughs> Just throw Cooge in there, there, God damn it. There is one connection. So in the Fangoria article I saw, uh, uh, Stephen Newton wrote, they cheerfully offered to guide Fango in a quick tour of the farmhouse built under the watchful eye of production designer Douglas Higgins, a Vancouver native who also worked here on Stephen King's It. So... You know, they have some. There, I mean, this is like what happens anywhere this in Vancouver. Is, you mean, get, it's like X Files yeah. episodes is like literally like a, like a, a glossary <laughs> yeah. of like you know character actors around this time. So it's the same thing with this. You know, yeah. um, I'll say the only I did have one. The font of Needful Things Store is the font uh, of the book, and then he has bags too. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Wait, is it really? Yeah. Oh. We thought the we thought it was hilarious that people had Needful Things bags. <laughs> Like well, they bought several items, and I think that's where the poster comes from, which yeah. is the bag with the, the 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 people like coming out of the bag. Yeah, which makes it which, seem far more menacing than what's actually in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that poster's memorable. I mean, I, I like the poster. Seeing that, um, but I remember more the VHS cover, which with is Harris. just Harris and Bonnie Bedelia, I think, yeah. and, and Gaunt, right? I think Gaunt's in the background yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's, it's, you know, one uh, of the '90s covers. So yeah, 90s. It's, it's, it's definitely cover, yeah. one of those like iconic VHS tapes that I personally remember always skipping like i'd see it in the horror section and be like eh, i'll get it next time like it was never something that like i, I, I loved everything too, that was on I it i never watched it <laughs> yeah i mean that was yeah. it's so weird and then but i remember it, would, it and i always remember it being on television so but yeah i the only other um king's dominion i could think of is the fact that um they they reference it was at castle hill at one point um oh, or like and i wonder yeah. if that is that in any of the books i'm sure it is yeah. well you know whatever maybe i think it would just be like dumb luck at that point uh, yeah i'm pretty really sure paying too much attention to the to the source material which is such a bummer because it's you know it's produced by castle rock entertainment you have you know, all it, the rights to do other things in within this world like i just don't think they cared i know yeah. they didn't and like you think especially with the like this being the last of the castle rock novels it's like, well, that whatever. they would have also jumped on that bandwagon yeah. and kind of made some references. But I, I wonder, I do wonder if they were worried about like the tie in to Dark Half. Because because especially with, with one of the one of the two leads of that movie being Pangborn. I know. You know what I mean? So it's weird that that movie these movies came out within the same year of each other. I know. Uh, and they were both marketed as Stephen King movies, I'm sure. So it's 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 interesting that 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 was the case. Uh yeah, there's not really I don't remember there being any other King's Dominion except for, you know, obviously we know certain characters are from other uh things. You know, Ace is not in this movie, which I thought was made sense you can't do it does that. make sense it, he's it thrown sense, in to revitalize it, that book at the point at yeah. which you are at you can't throw him in there and dan forth definitely is an evil of enough villain to uh to to continue to, to hold that mantle to the end of the movie um well just, there is some truly crazy trivia on the oh, imdb yeah. page for this movie yeah i'm just gonna read one or two sure 
Bonnie Bedelia previously appeared in Salem's Lot, which was also based on a Stephen King novel and Mm -hmm. was also about a mysterious stranger who moves into a small town and opens an antique shop. That film also featured two actors, James Mason and Clarissa K. Mason, who were a real-life husband and wife, as does this film, Ray McKinnon and Lisa Blount. They also featured an actor whose spouse appeared in another film featuring the same characters. Julie Cobb appeared in Salem's Lot, which her husband James Cromwell appeared in the remake of in 2004. Ed Harris's character previously appeared on The Dark Half, which featured his wife, Amy Madigan. Oh, that's right. 17 of 21 people found this interesting. (laughs) <laughs> well, read the last one when they talk about like uh, the gap of uh, for uh, Amanda oh, Plummer. Oh, the Amanda Plummer, the one? most innocuous piece of trivia ever. <laughs> yeah, when we they tell the different the the you know, one here. year, one month, and one week is the time between the release of Amanda Plummer in, uh, in- August 29th, nineteen ninety three's Needful Things, and October fourth, nineteen ninety four's Pulp Fiction. Like what? Three of six, three of sixteen people found this interesting. Yeah, well, maybe they should do the one with like between like Ed Harris appearing in this and then also Creep Show. <laughs> it's been, you know, it's been, it's been um, so weird, yeah, so ridiculous. <laughs> but it is, it is unfortunate because uh, the Dark Half was produced and distributed by Orion Pictures. Um, and then Needful Things was obviously, you know, it was Castle Rock Entertainment, which was through uh, New Line Cinema, which is now owned by Warner Brothers. And Columbia uh, Pictures was the one that was distributing it. Um, what's funny about that, though, is I, I believe that um, it's weird because, like, I guess Orion's owned by MGM, which would then be later owned, I think, by Sony. So, yeah, I guess you're never going to get the dark half combined with. Because I, I guess Warner Brothers doesn't own the rights to it then. Oh, so yeah. it's, you know, because ultimately at this point now, Warner Brothers would own New Line Cinema and all the Castle Rock Entertainment stuff. So you, I honestly don't want uh, um, any other adaptations of Needful Things. I think it's such a good book. It works as a book. You don't, don't want another. You don't want a new movie. I no. think you got to wait 10, 15 years at this point with the Castle Rock show doing what it's doing because it, it's too. Because they they could have done Needful Things. Yeah, would have. I think they probably would have been able to do a very good version of it because they have the money and the breadth of a only if it's a ten episode series. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the problem with that is that they've just gone so far off the rails in the fan fiction. They would just murder this fucking book. I bet. Uh, you know what would actually really work, um, and I think we could all keep this under King's Dominion is um i think a video game of this would actually not be bad especially if you're going to like delve more into like the, the sims g- but needful things well no I'm, I'm even just like i mean we were we were joking yesterday because like you were you're playing death stranding right yeah. now and i think like the sort of mundanity of what some of the modern video games call for i think a lot of the, the stuff that happens in this book would work really well and i think like if you're either playing like you can play as like a painborn you could play like i think like that, <laughs> I play I, as gun. this open world you could play as a gun but like <laughs> The open world atmosphere of like the whole main area with Castle Rock involved, like I think you could do like a really cool game that would just be. In, I'd love like, a Castle all Rock, Castle video Rock game. games, like, yeah. and like with the Needful Things being like one of the more like lingering stories that's happening. Cujo is a boss. Cujo is a boss. <laughs> like you have to go to Camber Ranch, and then like the ghost of Cujo comes back or something like that. You, you know? have to fight him. He goes, uh, "Hello, hello." Uh, I wish, and uh, you know. It's me. It's, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, you know, like, baby. Well, like, you know, animals sometimes talk <laughs> in like Final Fantasy games. Yeah. They'll just like have that, like a bubble comes over like the red-eyed dog. Is uh... Donna? Like, <laughs> like, like is Eric, do- Eric Roberts doing the voice of Cujo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Love it. I'm back, um, baby. I'm back, baby. I guess the last bit of King's Dominion, this is more of an extension, is uh, Rick and Morty did a parody of mm. Needful Things. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody here watches that show. I used to. Yeah, not yeah. for me. Uh, I've seen a few episodes. I think it's episode nine of the first season. I've not seen it, um, but it's it's apparently people seem a to direct like it. Lift from it, yeah, yeah. And it's also, uh, as we mentioned before, distributed by Castle Rock Entertainment. Uh, and I will still <laughs> say this right now that if anyone finds a jacket or hat uh, from the Castle Rock Entertainment company, I Mike would love, really wants. I really it. want yeah. one. I want you, one. And if you find two. I would love one as well. And oh. if you find three, I would like one as well. So you heard that. Three um, Castle Rock Entertainment hats or jackets. For, for the Castle Rock boys. And the we'll, Castle Rock boys. We'll, we'll take photos wearing them. And we'll sing hymns and uh, put it on <laughs> we'll Instagram. We'll sing hymns uh, and, and say Rudy Toot Toot. What, what a friend we have in Jesus and all the, all the other uh, I think it's time for our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Welcome to Final Thoughts, in which we <laughs> share our final thoughts on Needful Things, the movie 1993 starring Ed Harris. Uh, I'll go first. This movie, I think, is pretty bad um, because it's not even, it's just not fun. It's, uh, yeah. It, to me, feels kind of soulless. Um, I think that there's, I think you've got a lot of things working in its favor. There's, you know, you got a great setting, Mike, I agree with you on that front. Uh, the British Columbian town where they shot really, really lovely. Um, Ed Harris, Hey, money in the bank. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, JT Walsh, you've got too much money. (laughs) You got a great cast. It just feels like the creators behind it were uninspired. You had all the pieces in front of you and it just, uh, failed to work any magic with it. So, I, yeah, there's not much more to say. I think that whether you watch the three-hour version or the two-hour version, you're not going to get, um, you know, there. It, it's not really much of a difference, I don't think. Um, they, they're both not great. So for me, I'm going to give this uh, two out of five bright red Pennywise clown noses. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to mirror that. I'm giving it two bright red Pennywise clown noses. Uh, it just didn't do it for me. Like I was saying earlier, as soon, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, I just was checked out. I, I was, I, I really sat there and watched and I took a bunch of notes, but like, I just, it wasn't fun. You're yeah. absolutely right. It was not fun. It wasn't a fun watch. I, it was like, at least just, I can watch plotting yeah. and I felt it was, it was a, it was a chore to, to finish the movie. And there are those shining moments with some of the cast, because as we said before, the cast is pretty, pretty spot on and great. And it's like, how did you mess this movie up? But it goes back down to the writing and the screenplay uh, again, it's hard to make this adaptation, uh, especially in two hours, because it's such a over. It's, it's the same thing with Salem's Lot. These need to be miniseries. Mm-hmm. You cannot flesh out the town enough to do it justice. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it two. Uh, I'm excited that this is the end of our evil <laughs> things uh, jaunt. But uh, Gaunt, Mike, what did you? Uh, are, oh yeah, yeah, Gaunt, John Gaunt, John Gaunt, the Gaunt Gaunt. Um, uh, I am excited that the Gaunt John is over also. Um, it's been a long time coming, and I feel like I've, uh, I'm starting to get my you know, itchy feet, and I want to get out of town. Uh, personally, I, I'm going to give this three. I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's one of those. I, I'm a huge fan of afternoon watches. I, I love having a good, fun, aesthetically pleasing movie in the background, and this movie fits the bill for me. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's, it's mostly just because 
I as you you know everything you all mentioned like the casting is great um I love the setting and I think that for me personally like I think like like Heston actually has like some pretty solid shots that capture like the aesthetic and feel of a Stephen King movie mm-hmm. so do I want to sit there and watch it from front to back like like I did for this podcast no but if October rolls around and I want something on while I while I'm kind of in the mood of like ha- like that Stephen King mood or that spooky mood I just want the, the window open with some candles you know and some um spooky m&ms in a bowl what, like sleep I, with the movie i, I just I, I like living with movies like that's one of my my i, I work from home i no, i'm I always like yeah, I so I, this is I a perfect movie, movie that i that's it, it it fits the bill for that for me and um it, but in a you know in a perfect world like it, it, it there is something really sad that you had so many pieces here and that you just you couldn't make it great like this should yeah. have been great squandered um, a little bit but I also think it's it's kind of emblematic of some of the problems with the book. Like I think the book has some tonal issues, as Mel outlined last uh, last in the last episode, and um, I think that kind of comes to fruition here in the movie. Uh, but even that, I'll put an, another a little anecdote on that. I think that the changes here there. are some that are improved, you know, like some improvements here. Like I like the ending uh, uh, is really great. I like uh, you know Hugh's piece that's changed and t- from the the foxtail the jacket. Um, I think that they chisel down some stories that that we didn't really need in an adaptation, but they lose a lot of the other ones. So for me, I think probably could go two point five to be a little safe, but I'm gonna go three just for the effort. Uh, and because I love Ed Harris, give me that Ed TV. I want you know I've heard of Disney Plus, I've heard of Apple TV Plus. <laughs> oh, wow. I want Ed TV. A, give a me Ed service TV. That just gives us yes. Ed Harris. The films? Yes. Ed Harris streamer. Yes. Oh, eight in the morning. Great. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna I will watch. say sometimes <laughs> I I I'm done with prime or hulu I've, I've watched all i can watch i would gladly pick up the ed harris stream service for a month at tv and binge some harris i 100 percent agree well this so brings us to the end milk money this be like, oh wow the right stuff is on oh my god this brings us to the end of our needful things journey this has been a blast i've absolutely loved it we'll be back next week uh with some fresh content and I think I know that at least sometime in the future, we're going to move from one shop to another shop because we're going to be talking about the miniseries Golden Years. Oh, yes. So expect that in the on the horizon. And um, yeah, until next time. Well, follow us on our socials. Oh, now, yeah. Look, we, 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 I think we did a pretty good job covering needful things. Right? I think we did a great job right? covering needful. Then things. you should let us know. Like, leave a review. Leave us a review. I want a five-star review that says, I went to the Needful Things shop looking for a great Needful Things episode, and the Leland Gaunt that is the Losers Club gave it to me. And so you need to use that exact, exact phrasing. Exact phrasing. And if I don't see that in the review thing, no, we like we're going to lose our mind. No, no, no. Yeah. Exactly we have like five like of just the same thing. Yeah, Please go leave for us it. reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the pod. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Fresh content. We love to provide it. And uh, listen to us all the time. It's, it's, <laughs> this is all you should do is listen do you, to us. I actually have a question for you yeah. before we go. Um, where do you listen to podcasts? Like, because some I listen mostly at the gym, and then when I get back from the gym, I have my like little Yui Boom that I listen to in the shower. Yeah. So I I only listen to podcasts at the gym. Same. Yeah. yeah. Because well, I don't know when I'm like on my commute in the morning, I'm usually uh, tired, crazy. and I just want to listen to music. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like podcasts require engagement. Yeah. And sometimes I don't feel like engaging. Huh. You know, as a city boy, it's hard for me to listen to podcasts uh, unless I'm on the train. I think if I had a car, I would listen to podcasts a whole lot more. Yeah, or I if agree. if I had a long commute to my job or something, you know. 
I, oh yeah, I would say that when when I'm on long road trips, yeah, uh, yeah. when I'm driving somewhere, which I don't drive a lot because I live in the city. So, but when we do uh, go on road trips, I I always we binge podcasts. Well, you know what's great about podcasts is that you can listen to them anywhere, and that's what we want you to do. We want we want the losers want to go with wherever you're going. If you're in a car, bring us with you. Hey, shotgun. Uh, and if you're <laughs> You if have going, lost your goddamn mind. I've lost my mind. goddamn mind. I think it's time to close this, this yeah. shop and move on to, as you are saying, the other shop. But The other shop, uh, shop, shop. <laughs> oh, the shop? The shop. Oh. Uh, uh, Firestarter. I've my brain synapses we're fried. are just we're fried. We're fried. Let's just let's just uh, know that we've we've got plenty of long, long days, days and pleasant, pleasant nights ahead of us and fresh content. Bye. Don't you see what he's done? I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.